0: Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey there, it's Kristen Gates with Trey Sauls of Sauls Law Group. I think when a couple splits, even if it's amicable, there are still so many hidden issues, things you probably never even thought about, right, Trey?
2: Exactly. Such as who's getting child support? Is there going to be a need for alimony? Where is the dog staying? Are you selling the house or are you getting bought out by the other spouse? Who's getting the debt? And the most important thing is child custody. Who's getting custody and when will you see your kids?
1: I've been through a divorce, and Trey, I wish I would have had an attorney that would have just walked me through it one step at a time. Just let me know that everything was going to be okay.
2: Right off the bat, you're going to be okay, and you will still be with your children. We realize you're a human, and we will support you and counsel you through this process. You will not be treated like a transaction, and we can help you through the most difficult time in your life. We will see you through this.
1: Let Saul's Law Group give you the help you deserve. Go to saulslawgroup.com today and schedule a free consultation. That's saulslawgroup.com. Get your car bright, shiny, and clean at Tommy's Express Car Wash in Snellville. Stop by today to Tommy's Express Car Wash on the northeast corner of Oak Road and Scenic Highway North. Pull on up, roll on through on the Tommy Transporter Belt, and get a complete car wash in about three minutes for as low as seven bucks. Free vacuums and floor mat cleaners included, too. Join the Tommy Club and get unlimited car washes for an entire month, starting below $20. Tommy's Express Car Wash, open daily, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. to fit your busy schedule. Bring your car, SUV, and even your larger size pickups. Tommy's Express has you covered on the northeast corner of Oak Road and Scenic Highway North. Look for the free Tommy's Express app on your phone. Learn more anytime at tommys-express.com That's T-O-M-M-Y-S express.com Or just stop by today, save time and money, and keep your car bright, shiny and clean at Tommy's Express Car Wash on the northeast corner of Oak Road and Scenic Highway North in Snellville.
3: Alright, Keyforge community, what's going on? I am the one, the only the W O O K I E joined here. Well, two minus one, I don't know how you want to call it. We got JR. Hello, Keyforge community. And we got Sheep's normal, rambunctious self. Settle down over there, Sheep. No. Okay. Well Well, he
4: he is a lot like calmer now that we're not recording on Friday night It's super late. So
3: Um well yeah, now it's just Tuesday night super late. I mean, I guess it's not super late, but it's late enough. Let's,
4: hey, let's our second hat. time is gonna be better. That's that's what's happening. Yeah, we're, yes. we're without a Z, and mm-hmm. we got this, you know, posse here of the three of us. It's gonna rock.
3: You, you're just gonna jam that stick in my eye, huh? Turn it a little hey. bit. That yep. Ryan, I don't, I still don't understand how that ever happened. Like, how did I miss? You're all on the same audio track. How is Dan present but the you two are gone? I have no idea how that's even po- possibly a thing.
4: I don't know, but Keyforge community know that we had an amazing podcast that we put together. It was literally the best show. It was also like three hours. And now it's gone. Well,
3: yeah. Could have been multiple parts, but uh, (laughs) let's get into uh, take number two of why I suck at Keyforge with Hafnium. This goes out to... No, Wookiee, you get the first piece here, man. Why is
4: that? Um, Pressing record button. I did press the record button. Yeah, yeah. Why suck it, Keyforge? Press the record button.
3: I did press. Okay, Uh, so no, hold on. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. He's going to get it all night. All right. Anyway,
4: why suck it, Keyforge? Why did you get so loud all of a sudden? You told me to eat the microphone.
3: Well, don't literally eat it. Yeah, all of a sudden you got really loud. But I did hit the record button. Dan was there, but somehow you and Z were not. So I hit the record button. Don't understand how one member who's on that same audio track is present, but the other two are completely missing. But yes, yeah, anyway, why I suck at KeyForge? Hit record. I'll take the blame on that one. It's
4: yeah, fine. we're totally fine. We're all good. Um, so we actually met Friday. We went ahead and uh, met for KeyForge live, which is going to be coming up. Some updates in a little bit, but it was really neat. I had a listener who actually reached out to me and. Since it was just spot on and we were working on some other Keyforge live items. I'm like, sure, let's throw it in. So Hafnium, thank you, thank you. Big shout out to you. And um came with the YSucket Keyforge. So if this is something that you can relate to, um, go ahead and send us a little blip. You can hit us up on Discord. It was actually really cool to connect. Um, but this is what happened. So basically is in a game, uh why I get Saki Keyforge is they're both at two keys. They're battling for that final key. And all of his amber removal could be seen. It was in the discard pile. and like many games, it's late in the game. So you've gone through your deck roughly about one time, um, depending on you know, plus or minus, depending on what your logos is and, and what your draw is. But uh Hafnium really saw that there was only one possible out for his opponent, which was a miasma. And he simply had a single Shadow Self that was on the board. So all he really needed to do was get to Six Amber in any house. However, he decides to go ahead and play a fancy turn. And I I know that uh, I I got my hand raised. I unfortunately like to play fancy turns. And the consensus from our group is when we play a fancy turn, we oftentimes go ahead and have bigger issues. We cause larger problems problems. Um, I cannot tell you how many games I've lost because I think that I'm gonna play a cool fancy turn. So Halfname was on, he plays the Star Alliance fancy turn, and he tries to be- basically maximize his amber and cards played. However, his opponent miasmas and then reaps to seven, where he doesn't have a response. So had he just thought this through, he knew that the only way to be able to stop him was the miasma, but he didn't think through the second piece of, hey, I need to be able to take my opponent off of seven. Um, and he actually had the out uh, too, the, oh, which makes it sting that much more. So in Unfathomable, he says he has Wakolia. So he could have played and still got to six in the Unfathomable. So still being able to get hit with the Miasma, but it would have gone ahead and helped him on the future turn where he could have been able to keep his opponent off check and then basically won the game. So lesson that should be learned, play to your opponents out, not just your own. And I want to say that again because I think it is a great lesson. Play to your opponents out, not just your own. So look, if you have gone through all the hard work and you know what the out is for your opponent and you know they only have one scaling amber or they only have one amber control that's left, go ahead and set yourself up. What do you need to win? So if that is a miasma in this case, play so you can take them off and outlast that one extra turn. What do you guys think?
3: I think you're right. Fancy turns never win. Fancy turns. Ever, ever, ever. I've never had a fancy turn do much for me of any sort. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, never go for the fancy turn uh, because then you can expect two turns later, you'll be losing. That's my two cents on that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that one. Well, I think everything funnels at that end of the game. So you're looking at it. And while you can look at what fancy term means, um, just the idea of being able to maximize amber and cards played does not always equal a win. And I think that has been drowned into so many different minds of, OK, ABC, always be checking here. Go ahead and maximize your hand plus board. Well, not necessarily. If you've done the hard work on calculating what that Amber control is, think it through (laughs) because you've done the work and set yourself up to be able to win. So I
5: think that's a big thing. in remembering the difference of Amber control and Amber control from hand. Oh,
3: yeah.
5: Right. Like, you know, potentially you got to know your deck, too. Like if you have a good chance of drawing Amber control from hand, then, uh, you know, maybe you can go with that turn, but you know, if you you don't have a lot of amber control from hand cards in the deck, then yeah, you got to plan on getting your control cards down.
4: I would even go ahead and argue for ABR. We were looking at one of the matchups for the playoffs, and one of the decks that was thrown out that was public knowledge to everyone. Uh, had some amber control, but frankly, it's not on play amber control. And that's a really, really, really big difference of on play amber control versus I have to have the creature out. Because the creature, you don't have to memorize. You don't have to be able to deal with it. You can actually push that off and go, I can deal with it at time. Um, So kind of keep that in mind. There are still some interactions, uh, like something like speed sigil that especially in CODA can impact whether a creature is able to provide amber control right away. But speed sigil can also really be a detriment to later sets.
3: Absolutely. All right, let's keep it. uh, Again, we're using Zencaster. So if we sound a little new, different, odd. um, Number one, I do have a new microphone. Um, It's not that new, but it is new. And number two, we're using a different program. So and let us know how you enjoy this silky voice yes i'm hoping it turns out better we'll find out here shortly we'll fine and let us know what you think about KeyForge live flip-flops and if you'd like a <laughs> pair contact me i gotta i got the hookup um, all right but, but let's get into some KeyForge live kind of uh i guess announcements as as far as it goes kind of announcements slash updates so mr dan
5: I'm supposed to be talking now?
3: Yeah, KeyForge Live updates. Right. Okay, so
5: KeyForge Live, we were excited. We hit our goal of 50 by uh, the 4th of July. That was yes. one of the goals we were looking for. We did hit that. So uh, uh, Big Z did do the wheel of spin to win a uh, KeyForge banner. And uh, friend of the show, George Kegel, uh, murderer of me at Vault Tours, George Kegel, has won that prize. So congrats, George, on winning a sweet banner that you get to pick up at KeyForge Live. And uh, now it is July 6th, and we have 63 participants registered. So, right, 50 was a big number for us. We, you know, felt like that would be a really good event. But now that we've hit 50, we have bigger goals in mind, right? What's better than 50?
4: All right, well, I I first want to back up, and I want to hit this. I know that we're, we're recording a second time, but, guys, 50 is huge. This is a whole bunch of people who love the game, who are throwing our own time and energy. Um, I know Z's not here <laughs> to go ahead and comment, but it, his his joke on the first time was that this is his full time job for summer break that he is making negative money for. Um, but 50 was huge for us, and we hit 53 by the second, which was on Friday. As of today and Tuesday, coming after the 4th of July, we got 63. Like, that is no small feat for a small little group. And it's not attached with any other convention. It's not attached with anything else to do. You're coming out, these people are coming out just to play Keyforge, which is awesome. And it is going to be an absolutely phenomenal event. But I cannot stress again Keyforge community, you guys, all the guys, girls are. Kids who are playing, thank you, thank you, thank you for registering early. Thank you for going ahead and coming out. And it's gonna be an absolute blast. I look forward to meeting all of you or as many as of you as I can fit in that time and just playing some Keyforge alongside you. So 50 was a huge number. 63 is amazing, and, and we have sites. So sheep, Wookie, what, what are what's our number? What what do we want to go ahead and nail?
3: Well, I can't remember what sheep sheep's number was last time. My number was seventy-one. I would love to have seventy-one people show up to an event that literally, with two months' notice. And the reason of seventy-one is because seventy, what was seventy the smallest? It was the smallest vault tour that we had, and that was in Collinsville. And the reason it was so small is because it was done on like such short notice. Like literally, I think we had like a month and a half, maybe two months' notice. For people to kind of book flights, get hotels, yada yada, so on and so forth, make plans to come, and this is a very very similar event, right? <coughs> we kind of we only gave you really a month and a half, maybe two months to kind of get flights, make plans, get out of the house, and figure out how you're going to get to Milwaukee uh, for four days or three days. I'm sorry, and so 71 to me says that we've really accomplished something. Like, well, this is no small feat. This is no small bananas. This is a real thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Where are we at? 63, you said, right? Yeah, 63. Like, 63 is huge. Yes. I told you guys at the very beginning of this, this is going to be feast or famine. Either we're going to have a lot of people show up or, like, 10 people are going to show up. and And six of them would have been us. You know, so... <laughs> I didn't really know how this was going to go, but I'm I'm super stoked about, you know, I never thought we'd get to 50, but yet here we are at 63 people literally spending their hard-earned cash to come to an event that uh, that we're doing. So, bravo I, to all you guys.
4: I, I also want to go ahead and say that invigorates the group. I know that there's a core group that has been providing a ton of time and energy and money into this. this. This is our money. But to know that our friends are coming out to play Keyforge that we haven't seen um, sometime, some of these individuals over a year, <laughs> over 15 months, this is amazing. And it's going to be a great event. There's people we're, we're putting in product. There's price support. There's so much that, frankly, we get excited about. And we're like, yeah, let's just go ahead and do it. Let's go ahead and make this even better. And so seeing the numbers come out, it just helps to excite us to be able to push that much further. I mean, KeyForge, KeyForge Live has some prize money that's definitely available. We have prizes for a prize wall. We have four um, our four round events that we just went ahead and added. And so, like, just the idea for us to be able to play competitive KeyForge, but also to play casual, to play with our friends, to be able to make some new friends. That's what this event is really intended to be. And I think it's going to be amazing. E- even for us to be able to, uh, one of the recent announcements was Aegis going ahead and donating uh, two of the Key Rackin Keyforge Adventures, and uh, the Conspiracy, Abysmal Conspiracy. So we have that that will also be here that we get a chance to be able to have people interact with and try out. Um, huge shout out to our, our sponsor for Luxury PlayStyle, which you know has been able to support us and give some amazing product that we're going to give to others who are coming. So I'm just—I I, I know I'm kind of gushing here, but the end result is the numbers are coming in. We really appreciate it. So please, please keep signing up, um, and know that we're putting together a phenomenal event. That honestly, I wish I would be able to play in. But uh, on the running side, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing everyone and being able to see
3: all that comes from it. Mister Dan, what what was your, what was your number? I'm just curious now.
5: I'm pretty sure I said like three thousand, but three hundred. 300 is a real number, right? Because then it would be the biggest vault tour like event ever. Right. So that would be cool. But I don't know if we're going to get 300 in the next two weeks. I don't think we're mm. going to get that
3: many. In but the, two weeks. the
5: 70, 71 area, I think we actually only need 70 to beat Collinsville. They were like 69.
3: Oh, was it? Uh, I thought it was. So
5: that's that. The, that really is the number. Like if we can be bigger than Collinsville, which was announced about four weeks before it was run. Um, that would be really cool.
3: So I'm, I'm actually I'm sorry I'm a little distracted. I found this uh, website that does all uh, like basically whatever you want. Like they'll they'll make bed sheets. Um, if you want bed sheets, so now I'm making like KeyForge Live bed sheets. <laughs> As I was sh-
4: sharing KeyForge community, we are kind of off on tangents and um. Big shout out to my lovely wife over there. Um, we have things that keep coming to my house, and I think <laughs> you're that you're definitely out the gonna, room? <laughs> I, No, 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 that, that's not the issue. But uh, you know, we, we've put a good chunk of money into it, so I hope that you guys all enjoy all of the different items that will be available because uh, we keep thinking about items, and we're, we're doing it to have some fun. But uh, the other piece that I want to go ahead and plug is uh look one of our locals, John Palm, has been running uh Keyforge with Pink Bunny Games and he's actually putting on a special event that Thursday. So if you are coming to Keyforge live and you're actually coming in Thursday night on the twenty second, um he's actually gonna go ahead and run a sealed MM uh Thursday, which is a pre event. Um and that will start, I wanna say, is that five thirty or six? Oh goodness. I did not write that down, but, um, he's, he's been the one who's been running our events, uh, our sealed events with pink bunny games here in Archon's corner on Wednesday. And, um, I still get the chance to go ahead and see him on Mondays for in, in live person events, but super cool piece. And you should be looking, uh, hopefully I can update that whether that's five 30 or six. I know that he did have a cap. So if you're coming in, make sure that you check out Arkans corner for the specific details. Um, but because the store closes at eight, um, where we usually start at six, but I, I think this is actually backed up to five thirty.
5: Yeah. So he's got a 20 player cap because of store size. Uh, there is a shadows figure that'll be available. If the event has enough players um, and it's mass mutation sealed, but if you're interested in that or other things that are going to be going on and people are doing definitely come hit up our discord. We have uh, some key forge live channels there. Um, some other people are talking about the cool bars, restaurants, and other places you can go to around the area. Lokakar has also put together a sheet with some of the other places like the zoos and the baseball diamonds and other things that are around. Uh, there are excellent disc golf courses in the area, too. So, like, you know, come hit us up if you're looking for information on the other things you could want to do while you're in Milwaukee besides play KeyForge. I mean, I don't know what else there could be in life besides KeyForge, but I guess other people do things.
3: Hey, um, Dan. What's
5: your feeling on Crocs? <laughs> I kind of told you I was going to cut your feet off for flip flops. Yeah, uh, Crocs, Crocs are, will, yeah. Are, are Crocs better or worse? I'm, I'm not I'll, sure. I'll make you eat them.
4: Uh, I, I will. Well, there you go. That's that's raising some more funds for KeyForge Live. <laughs> I will also throw out that that weekend is German Fest here in it Milwaukee. Is. So if you're into festivals, uh, that is something that's. Uh, Significant others can come along. It's good for families and
3: uh, yeah. great, great German food. Get yourself some mm. uh, schnitzel, uh, some schnitzel, and some sauerkraut.
5: Raise a big Stein. Let's yes. just say they will pour you a liter of seven and a half percent Bach around yes. Wisconsin and let you go to town with it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
3: and you get to walk around. So, yeah. <laughs> if you can do it, if you good luck to you, I can do it, but.
4: All right. So outside of uh, sealed MM, I know we had talked last week about being able to look at Archon. However, we actually ran some data. All right, take take a deep breath. Archon's corner has data. That's right, data and sheep. These are real numbers,
3: and this is why we brought sheep onto the show because he actually does real number things. Um, And then we didn't just we just you know because back in the day we just we just just make them up. Now, now we brought on Sheep, who does real number things.
4: <laughs> so, as a result, we are switching the um, archon, which will be next week. We'll talk a little bit about some strategy there. But uh, with after the announcement for the MM pre event, and we have at KeyForge Live our own sealed, um, which is on Saturday. Uh, we figured we'd dig into MM sealed. And so, Sheep, what did you do?
5: Okay, so we were looking at uh, coming up with some highlights on uh, Mass Mutation sealed, being that we're running. The first Vault Tour scale, Mass Mutation Sealed. A lot of people haven't got to play it at all. So what what do you got to look out for when playing Mass Mutation Sealed on this level? So we started looking, and one of the big things you always think about are what really important creatures that swing the game uh, and have to be dealt with. And the first three that, or the first two we thought of were like Scrivener and Kronos. And they're both pip-based creatures, right? Like, in Archon, you see a Kronos come down, you can see where their pips are, you can count the number of draw pips in their deck and know how dangerous that Kronos can be. But how dangerous is Kronos in Sealed? So, I tried to get some numbers. I took a uh, big, big shout-out to Corey fan of Dex of Keyforge. He added pip placement or total number of pips to the 5,000 deck download you can do as a $6 Patreon. So using that feature, I downloaded the 5,000 most recent mass mutation decks that had a Scrivener Favian in it. As a reminder, Scrivener Favian is a three power creature, adds two capture pips to your deck, and while he's in play, all capture pips can instead be triggered as steel, As one steal. Something to those effect. Um. So, looking at a scrivener deck, if you have, if you see a deck with scrivener in it, on average, there's four point three six capture pips in those decks. So, on average, if there's a scrivener in a deck, there's four point three six um capture pips that go along with them. Which means that scrivener through one cycle is expected to be able to steal up to four amber. You got to remember though that this is uh sealed right. So when you're when you're looking at those sealed decks, you can't you're not going to know where their pip placement is or how many there are. So all you can really do is play off of averages. So I think you can definitely make some decisions when playing in a sealed game how important it is to deal with scrivener favian based off using this number of 4, right? You can cuz you can look at their discard, you can look in there and one, you can count and see if the deck has a bunch of cards that create more capture pips than expected and plan accordingly. Or if you don't see a lot of capture pip generating cards, but you do already see three capture pips played out of the deck, that Scrivener's probably got very little value, and you could just leave them alive. But knowing that there is that average of like four four 4.36 pips in a deck lets you make some play decisions during actual games. So I thought it was useful data to get, so I, I went and found it.
3: Yeah, I would say it's useful. But I mean, even, even what you're saying, like even if you see three in there, maybe you can leave it alive. I still say kill the Scrivener. Well, so that was the big
4: debate on the first round through. Um, and again, Scrivener itself, Mutant, you had already talked about the stats, but it does come with two enhanced capture pips. So I want to go through the wording. When you resolve a capture bonus icon, you may choose to steal one instead. And what was the actual average of just the total amount of, if we took 5,000 average, no search criteria, how many capture pips would I expect to see in a deck sheet?
5: Okay, so just looking at 5,000, the last 5,000 registered MM decks, which I um, I did this data on like July 1st, or something like that, so now the last 5,000 decks won't match my data, but it should still be really close. Uh, I came up with a capture of just 2.1 two pips in an average deck. So, you know, that makes sense. You add a Scrivener, and you get two more pips. Mm -hmm. You also have... um, You're guaranteed to have Sanctum then, or most likely have Sanctum then, which gives you a little bit more than two pips average. Uh, Another number I looked at quick was what if you also had Saurian in the deck, because Sorian is the next highest generator of capture pips, and that actually only brings the average up to 4.69. So it doesn't really seem to matter if you have Saurian or not in a Scrivener deck on how
4: many capture pips there are. I know that when we first went through this, I was kind of down on like "Eh, Scrivener. Scrivener, for me, hasn't done... like I I always target it, and I think that I was really overvaluing it, Um, but Z really pushed in the first talk that when we're looking at, a, at a, a chance to go ahead and bump from two to four capture and with that capture being turned into steel, a steal of four across a sealed game is huge. And so that was really really interesting to be able to see kind of the impact that Scrivener has. Um, this was one that kind of shocked Z and he's like, yeah, we're, you know I would actually go ahead and based on the statistical numbers, pick Scrivener more often as a target in sealed than he would have previously um, just after seeing that data. I also think that it's important for us to talk that Sanctum is heavy in MM with capture. So when you're looking, uh, Bring Low has capture. It's sitting at a uh, common feature. You have General Zalvador with capture times two, which is where the average comes in. And then you have Scrivener with capture times two. So Scrivener isn't uncommon, um, but you can see how Sanctum as a whole, um, you know, three out of the four cards are bringing capture icons. And so that, that brings quite a bit of power to Scrivener.
3: If they have those cards, I mean, but like Dan said, he ran, he ran the numbers. I mean, yeah. Okay. So four points. I mean, that is a big swing. You are looking at a total eight number swing during the course of an entire game. Right. And a little, you know, maybe a little bit more, maybe up to up to 10. If you have Saurian, um, but I think Scrivener is still a must kill. I think there's too there's too much risk with Scrivener floating out there. I I think it's almost it's almost like a witch. You, you just you gotta kill it. It's gotta go. Especially if you're getting close to that check range. It's she's gotta say bye bye.
5: See, I think I would play by my numbers now. And at, like I said, if I already saw three capture pips out of the deck, and I didn't see that there's two Salvador's in the discard plus the Scrivener, which means there's at least six pips in the deck, I would go, yep, that's fine. We're just going to leave that Scrivener alone now.
4: And I, I do want to correct myself. Bring low does come in as an uncommon. So yeah. I apologize about that. But when we're looking General Salvador, and you can have multiples in that common slot, but I think that it's important what Sheep said earlier. If you're looking at Scrivener and you can, at any point in, in real life, you can check the discard. If you see roughly four capture pips that are already in, it really uh,
5: Yeah, but it it is important to count the number of capture pips that they could potentially generate. You know, like this is obviously much easier to do when they're 20 cards out of their deck than when they're five or six cards out of their deck. But it, you know, it's something you got to watch. And all you can really make judgments off is averages and guesses, right? So, um. Yeah, so I we're think just looking right. at I think this more
3: times than not, more times than not with the averages. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be okay. But, I
5: should have I, mean, I should have spent the time to figure out standard deviation, maybe, but I did not. Yeah. Um, but using that, we. Hey, you I mean, make
3: it up. I mean, that's okay. That's the thing we do here.
5: No. Uh, so with uh, I'm with Z. I think uh, Scrivener is fairly frightening. Um, he's. You know, like, when Scrivener's in play, Capture Pips are, you know, just kind of a thing. But when they become Steel, they're very, very powerful. So Scrivener stays pretty high on my kill list in this set. Although, uh, you know, like, I might not take a real bad turn to kill him. Like I said, if I'm in that position where I think they could only generate one Steel from him easily. But I don't... uh, I don't think you can discount his potential, right? Because 8-amber swing throughout a game potential is a lot, although it's unlikely to be that high. But the other one we looked at was Kronos, right? Because Kronos, I always treat as a must-kill an Archon. But what we looked at when, when we look at Kronos, so if you're out of the 5,000 decks that had Kronos in it, there's only an average of 3.8 draw icons with Kronos. And uh, again, I looked at this matched up with Starline's. And that moves it up to 4.41. So that means on Kronos, uh, you know, it's draw one, archive one. And it's only a total of four cards. And this isn't sealed where it's not like the cards are crazy baller throughout the deck, most likely. So, I mean, it is efficiency, but I don't actually feel like it's nearly as threatening as Scrivener.
4: So I'm going to bounce in just for a second. Kronos, in case you're not familiar, three power Logos creature, which is a mutant. It has enhanced with two draw pips and a constant ability. After you resolve a draw pip bonus icon, you may archive a card.
5: Now there's, you know, so I I mean, like, I don't think, I mean, like, again, Kronos, you know, for it to be real effective, it often helps when the draw pips are either on him or in uh, Logos. But this is another thing, so again, you're looking at close to that four number, so even if you are concerned about it, you can use that average of four as a thing and again, go looking through their discard and decide how likely they are to generate bonuses off of Kronos the next turn. Um, I mean, like, I think these creatures are still important to kill most likely, but they may not be must-kills like they are in Archon where you're seeing Kronos decks with eight or nine draw, and one of those is on something like a casual loop, causal loop, Mm -hmm. um, where you can re-fire it multiple times. Uh, The one thing to remember, though, this is sealed,
2: I am Trey Sauls. During your divorce, you deserve complete attention, especially when it comes to your legal decisions that affect your children. Sauls Law Group takes care of you, and their experienced team helps families settle difficult domestic situations. Through these trials, it's important to save as much money as you can for your family. So Sauls Law Group is now offering reduced retainers for all clients old and new. Take advantage of Sauls Law Group's unmatched preparation and passion to fight for you in the courtroom. Go to SaulsLawGroup.com today.
6: Thanks to Visa, you could win a trip to a past Olympic and Paralympic Games host city when you use a Delta Community Credit Union Visa card. Now through August 15th, you'll be entered for a chance to win a trip to Los Angeles, Salt Lake City, Montreal, or even Sydney, Australia, when you use your Delta Community Visa debit or credit card for your everyday purchases. No purchase necessary to enter or win. To learn more and for full rules, visit DeltaCommunityCU.com slash VisaAdventure. Delta Community is federally insured by the NCUA. Visa, worldwide sponsor of the Olympic and Paralympic games any of that stuff could happen so just because
5: we're saying on average this may not be the thing you know th- there is always the chance that you know they opened a triple you know a triple draw card in and logos and they get to just constantly reuse it well, like t- t- a, yeah. a triple you, you draw two mech and a chronos yeah, and they just go silly
4: But again, if you see that,
3: that's you're going to have that information at that point. Yeah,
4: and they're they're not going to get that off.
5: We talked
3: about too. um, You know that information's not going to be kept secret for long because you know scouting is a thing, as we talked about. Like,
5: yeah, and when somebody—that's a
3: thing that is going to happen. And I mean, if if somebody does open that banger, Chronos. Uh, or scrivian or whatever deck by round three or four here, go. It might be round by round two. You're gonna know about it.
5: Yeah, we don't keep our mouth shut. So we we get excited about other people's pull and
3: we and, are talkers in the key. And actually, like,
5: oh, how am I supposed to win when that guy opened this? This isn't fair. Arr.
3: And um, then and then you just immediately go o two and drop. That's what happens,
5: right? That's what you do. I no, go. I
3: I've never gone o two and dropped
4: and sealed. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I do think that the 5,000 average deck search with no search criteria is really important here. On average, you should expect to see 2 and hundredths for capture. For damage, you're expected to see 2 and hundredths. Okay. For draw, this one is what really shocked me, and I'm still, even after a couple days, draw icons, you're only expected to see 1 and 3,500. So really 1.35 just over one. That's really, really, like that's low compared to what I would think. And then Amber, um, this is a big one. Amber is 11 and 7,800. So basically 11 to 12 Amber. The total amount of pips that you should see in a deck is about 17 and 4,800. So right in the middle there, of uh, 17. And I think it's important for Amber to be able to see that, you know, if you're a you know, 10, 11, you know, even 9, 9, 10, 11, maybe 12, you're in that kind of average area, and that helps you when you're choosing your deck. Um, if you go significantly below that, that can actually cause some issues. Um we're gonna Are you talk talking about just these. Amber? Yeah, just Amber. Okay.
3: No, but I was going to say, because we've share, seen some good decks that just don't have the pips. Well, correct. You know, but we've seen a lot of good decks that do have the pips, so I mean... Just because a deck isn't heavy on pips doesn't mean that the deck, oh, you can throw that one away.
4: No, but at the same time, I will argue that in sealed that the pips, the pip placement can all have a really, really big impact on the game. And some of the decks that just throw or spit out pips um, really can have some odd interactions. So I think that it's important to know what your average amber is for the set. And so that's why I was sharing with everyone so everyone can kind of have that information up front. Um, I would argue 11 seems almost 12 seems a little bit low for sets. I, I don't have that data across um, Coda, AOA, Worlds Collide, but I think that that would be important to be able to see, you know, if you're significantly lower, kind of keep that in mind. I just, I'm still really shocked at draw. That draw is that low. I'm really only getting one extra draw. And well, so there's I,
5: only two, uh, there's three houses that generate draw pips. Oh, right. I guess there's four cause there's amphora, but most of those are like rare. Like, there's only Infomorph and Resurgence, right, that are common draw pips. I know you mm-hmm. went and looked up that data. There's not really that many common draw pips. Uh, Mutagenesis Researcher also generates one. Uh, but there, there are less multi-pip draw icon cards where all the other ones have multi-pip in the common slots. And there's only infomorph. I think that's what it comes down to. But yeah, there's, so there's not that much draw. It is the thing to look at, though, as, as Ewok was saying, is there's 12 amber. So, you know, if you're looking at a deck with 20, 22, 24 printed amber, that is significantly higher than average and may overcome other deficiencies of the deck just by having a lot more raw amber speed than other decks can generate. All right, so that's that's definitely something to think about as you're looking at it.
3: Since we're you know we're kind of we're halfway through already, let's start here because we have we do have it divided by house, um, kind of what the cards we want to look out for.
5: Well, this so we we have this big list, and the next list is just all the. um...
3: Well, but here's what I want to know, right? What are the dead houses? What houses do I not want to see? Ooh, when i open my when i open my my three decks
5: in mass mutation dead house and mass mutation 50 50 on sanctum um yep they're you know what
3: so if it's the sealed is-
5: all the houses can just be really bad sure <laughs> like they're all the houses can just be really bad in mass
3: mutation So if but all I'm houses looking can be really good. Pick, <laughs> I'm looking to pick, th- I mean is is every house card cards or yeah, is every house card specific? You're
5: just saying like what house is going to on average I think right. this is what, another what set on,
3: where on what house is going is going to generate me more wins than what house is going to send me to four? what houses are going to send me to 4 two? Or logos
5: logos and diss, I think, are probably two of your peak houses. They both have good A and good well, they have good C. Uh, Dis has excellent A yeah. in it. I think that's so when we're getting the next thing we were kind of looking at in this set is um and mass mutation sealed is where does the scaling amber exist? Because that's one of those things you gotta be looking at your opponent. And you can look at their list of houses and know if they have Scaling A or not. Because it turns out there is not a lot of Scaling A, which yeah, is no, no. Amber Control, in this and set. It re-
3: and it really only resides in what? Two houses? What well, we so
5: we, we got the list here. So it's Effervescence Principle, which is only sort of Scaling Amber Control, right? It halves, so if you can go to 13, it doesn't take you off-key. Then there's Bring Low, which captures all but five, so that's scaling. That'll take care of any amount. There's Deucillus or Donkosaurus, who just captures everything. There's also Anthony, again, who captures everything. And then there's the combo that triggers Envy, which is if you have two of the Sins on board, he can reap and capture all of your opponent's Ember. And those are the only true... Um, or true scaling A that can deal with any amount. There are other things that the set does with city-states and fausts and with re-triggering of amber increase cards. Like, you can increase cost in this set quite a bit. But true scaling A that from hand... I mean, true scaling A from hand is really... There are those... There's truly only three cards. There's Bring Low, Ducillus, and Anthony. Right? That only true, doesn't matter how much Amber you have. Yeah. yeah. And but efferves in principle isn't true scaling A. I
4: I hear what you're saying, but I think for most of the matches, yes. If 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 you can go ahead and burst to thirteen, well, you you're gonna need to have Bring Low, Ducillus, or Anthony.
5: But. Yeah, and actually Afrovents in principle is the only one that actually gets rid of the amber, right? Bring low just makes a bank, Ducilus just makes a bank, and Anthony just makes a bank. Yes. So a lot of them just make banks. Um so that scaling A in the set is actually really bad. Um yes, well, bad or it. there's not <laughs> a ton of it, so you do have to so it is when you're playing against uh when you're playing in sealed mass mutation. You don't have to think about scaling. You're not going, oh, could they have the TMTP unless they've got the legacy TMTP or the legacy
3: you'll know by by round two.
5: Yeah. Or the legacy interdimensional graft like you can pretty much go bananas in the set.
4: And Uh, and so that that's what we were basically arguing is when you get Amber just burst. I mean, just go, just go. Because there's very, very little punishment for that. Obviously, keep an eye out for the sins, and if you see it, deal with it. But it just—I don't know—in MM, if you have Amber, Amber burst.
3: Burst. I mean, if I'm playing against not Dis, so like I'm playing against what Logos, Shadows, Star Alliance. You know, you're gonna know the houses. You know, there's just burst. Just go. There's no reason not to in this set.
5: There, There is very little reason not to. I mean, Ludo could exist, right? So
3: he could sure. burn
5: up a bunch of amber. Um, Things like City State Curia can can definitely punish you for making a ton of amber if they have creatures. Like, there are things that can happen, and you do have to be aware of them. Envy uh, Gluttony, right? Is Envy Gluttony? Whichever yeah. one. Uh MB captures all, and then there's the other one that lets you Gluttony, reap and them all. yeah, pulls it all into your pool. Like those things can exist in the set, and you do have to think about them a bit. But all in all, yeah, you can just
3: go. Well, all I, I would out say put it this set. way: at a lot of those times, if those combos have hit, you've already lost.
5: Potentially, that one thing. Although this set doesn't have scaling amber, this set has amazing. Small. Little amber controls yep. here between key costs, the mutant combo creatures and discs, brambles. It just goes on and on with the number of small amber control cards in the set. Well, Red even,
4: pennies, bone nivings. It just e- even the ability to capture. I mean, we have capture pips yeah, that are Capture there. Pips so, everywhere.
5: So small amber control really is. Very realistic, so it's often very beneficial to be able to burst, so they can't take one, take two, take three, and stop you. You can get get the job done. It's another reason why Keyfrog is so good in this set, because it saves you from getting just stopped again and again and again, which this set is very good at. Alright, so, so we're talking about Scaling Amber, right? What's the next and probably the most important thing in Mass Mutation?
3: Creature Control.
5: Creature Control. And on the other hand, there are a lot of good creature control
4: cards in the set. Well, so with this, Wookie, you had gone ahead and told us you were going to name all of the creatures and you're going to mm-hmm. put them in order, and yeah, then you that's found for next out, week. correct, but you, you actually found out how many creatures came out of MM. Oh, I don't even know. I think it was like 214. Correct, and so that was what we'll have to go and actually search for the creatures. 209. But- it really, really shocked us that there's that many creatures, and in a set that's going to tell you a lot. This is a creature based set, and so
3: honestly, uh, and then, probably the biggest piece is going to be your C. Do you I have think the a biggest way to deal thing for me was how many, like, oh man, like there's so many good creatures in this set, right? But then there's equally as many just piss poor creatures in the set, too, where it's like, oh. Yeah, like, this guy's... Yeah, I know him. He's useless. Mm, I
5: got four Francis the Economist. Yes. Right.
3: So, like, there legitimately is, like, 105 good creatures and, like, 105 bad creatures.
4: But they almost all
5: reap for and a they, dollar.
3: They mm-hmm. all they all commingle in the same space, too. And if so. you throw
4: five of them out, uh, be aware that you're going to get... <laughs> a big face of reaping the next turn. So what can we deal with? What should I expect to be looking for in my sealed decks? If I'm looking for C.
5: Right. So the big C cards, right? Gateway of dis is back. Yeah. Your true real board wipe. Uh, you can say the next one.
4: I can't. All right. Yep. So here you actually have a, a nice wipe. People don't necessarily keep in mind. Uh, I guess we should, should we go ahead and actually say this? Nope. No, no. <laughs> you're 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 off on on being able to be nice to everyone. But
5: they've that. got the Google. We're just talking about that. There are the big C's. So those yeah. those are they both exist in house dis right gateway and sixuno.
4: Yeah. So the piece
5: um, of gateway 6-1. being a common sixuno's
4: yeah, not a common. Yeah. Shiktsuna is a, a rare, and it's Omega. Play, destroy each other creature. For each creature destroyed this way, gives Shiktsuna a plus one power counter. So it it comes as an Omega, which is pretty nice, um, but that that does go ahead and wipe the board if you're dealing with some big issues. The third piece that we see is standardized. Um, so coming back, um, some nice control there, both top and bottom, and then a Bouncing Death Gorg. So... The next one is a really, really interesting piece, also coming to us from Logos, and uh, that is Kerzap. And I'll be honest, I think Kerzap in Sealed is going to be spotty. Um, It is still there. There's quite a few creatures that don't have the mutant trait, Um, but be aware that Kerzap is not as powerful as you need. And if you're looking for a straight board wipe, um, it may let you down. Uh, There's no question about that. I think
3: the other card not as powerful in this set is Axiom of Grisk. Oh yeah, hands down. Which would be your next quote-unquote board wipe. Right,
5: those are both cards that are sort of big C cards, but when playing just within Mass Mutation, you kind of have to have their value. Because with the amount of capture pip stuff going on, um, it definitely does... Reduce Axiom. If you see somebody has um, Soaring in their deck, you're just going to assume they have Axiom, and then you're going to try to put your Amber Pips around to protect your own creatures. Same thing, Krizap, only killing mutants. There are a lot of mutants in the set. Some decks you're going to play against are going to be almost purely mutants, and the card could do nothing. Uh, Krizap also can sometimes just be terrible in your own deck because you didn't get many mutants. So... It's a card you really got to think about um, if if it's going to work for you.
4: I think yeah. Bouncing Death Court is really nice without the chains. The problem is if you don't have the creatures, you're already down um, and you're being outboarded. It just doesn't pull yeah, what it's
5: made. It's not a catch-up card. It right. is a closer card, right? You pick off their most important targets while throwing away your trash.
4: I know that we were down a little bit on Sanctum earlier for MM, but Spirit's Way is a phenomenal, phenomenal card here for control. Um, your ability to determine when you're going to play it, so you can play it to start your turn and then throw out your big Sanctum guys, that can be huge, but it's not coming with chains, and th- that is a card say, that I... That's
3: it, the big piece. Is yeah. It has no chains attached. You kill everything three or higher, which most... I mean, which is a, it's quite a number of stuff in the set. There's a lot of fours in this set. I don't yeah, know
5: Yeah, It is a very strong card in this set. It's not a common. um, And that is actually one of the weaknesses that there is in Sanctum. The set is it doesn't have a lot of creature control in it. And then this is its card. It's not a common. Right. So you can't count on them for good creature control. Um, Right. Soren is also still
3: around. Yeah.
5: Axiom and tertiate tertiate really good one. Targeted big board removing stuff. That's often very good. Star Alliance is still got a lot of strength having, you know, Quantrino Flux is not a board wipe, but it it can functionally be a huge swing card. Uh Generalor 24, that's an interesting one, but definitely controls boards. And then they have Red Alert as well, which in this one with the way you play creatures in the set like thinking about Red Alert sometimes can be worth it. Although, I don't know if I ever actually play around Red Alert and Sealed. I just I just go. But, on the other hand, I wouldn't... If I had four on board and, you know, in hand I don't have any of that house, I might still just play that house in Sealed because that's quite possibly enough delta to make playing board better in Sealed. Definitely. Like, you don't have to have as big of a delta versus your opponent to win a sealed game as you expect in high-end archon so overboarding versus star Alliance where they could have red alert is not something you want to do
3: uh do we say savage clash yet
5: no, no because sa- i oh. i was just sticking with the Starline stuff so oh, yeah.
3: okay I was yeah. like, I'm just kind of going through it. I'm like, I don't think we even got to. No. like We haven't even Sav- really, honestly, touched on. Savage
5: Clash is a huge common um, creature control card, right? Destroys everything except their strongest and your weakest single creature. Uh, so that one is, you know, if you see, again, if you see that they have Untamed, you're just going to assume they have Savage Clash. That's just a safe assumption. Yeah. Uh, I then there's agree. some other ones that, kind of count as C, Um, like Mind Over Matter, which archives all creatures. I find that card to be exceptionally powerful, especially if they play mixed board, where you can just hand choke them by putting all their stuff back in their archives. Again, this one, because it archives everything, works really well against capture decks, because they capture all your amber all over the place. Then you Mind Over Matter, get all your amber back, and then they have to take more than one turn to reset their board. It's a very strong card. But it's at rare, so I don't think... It's something to think about a lot. Same with Amberlution. Another true board wipe clears everything, but then resets everything ready so your opponent gets to use their creatures. It can it can bite you. And because we're not playing Archon, it's not as likely you're going to have a good Amberlution, like Grim Reminder deck where you can get more value out of it. But it is... Remember, one thing to remember is Amberlution... It's put into play and not play creatures when it plays everything. So it does skip um, enhancement pips and play effects.
3: So, all right, we got about 10 minutes left. So let's get into into some of the artifacts we have to look out for. You guys still say Eaton's Jar. Is Eaton's Jar rare?
5: Eaton's Jar is definitely rare. And it's still a very important card. In this case, this is where you have to go through and look at the most important commons in each house. Know what they are, so you know what you're calling against. Because this is sealed, you don't know what they're playing. But if you can name rad penny uh, against a yeah, shadows deck yeah. that has two rad pennies, it is a significant hit.
3: Yeah. So what about essence scale? We don't have have that on the list. Is that not a thing to really look? I mean, honestly, look out for in sealed or? So here's the too, thing: is that too narrow? Is it too? It, then that's kind of it. Is like,
4: what can you really do to play around it? I think the other big one, because um, we had Eden's Jar, Harvest Time, Borrow, Blossom Drake, Reclaimed these, by Nature. These are
5: these are our cards. Like, how yeah, do you deal with artifacts? Yep. And the really the only one is Borrow. Is Borrow and Reclaim by Nature are two things that are out there, but Borrow is really the one you have to think about existing because them stealing your important artifacts. Which the ones that we had kind of picked out here were Curiosaurus. Which borrow doesn't really matter against. Nope. Amphora captura, auto encoder, and transporter platform. Those kinds of cards getting borrowed can just give the game away to your opponent. So if you see they have shadows,
3: you may I say if, I, if have... I see shadows, do I just chuck Curiosaurus and call it a day?
5: Well, not *Curiosaurus* because yeah. that one doesn't oh, matter who controls it. But giving auto,
3: somebody, auto let's say, like yeah, I was gonna say, let's say like an auto encoder or an amphora.
5: It's a hard choice. Like, I I don't know if you can chuck it um, because wait, you get so wait. much value out of the card and chucking it if they don't have borrow. Um, it, it's it's a very tough thing. But like if they get to borrow your auto encoder or your amphora, that may just be game.
4: Well, and the other question comes at what point? You you now roll out with autoencoder. You have a turn one, and you see that they have shadows, logos, and dis. Okay? Are you playing that? Because you're getting so much value with it being turn one right away. Um, you know, th- that's where you're going to have well, to make I, some calculated decisions.
5: I most definitely think you're playing it. Um, oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> and running that risk of they borrow it on turn two, and then you just kind of be try. sad. Yep.
3: Yeah, <laughs> you just kind of cry. Well, I yeah, mean, it's it'd be sad uh, day. But I mean, you you don't just chuck it and wait for the cycle. No. I mean, because because MM is like the fastest no. set.
5: No, you can't just chuck it. Like you got You got to be going
3: because you you, you got to be going
5: for the throat. The the worst things I see, I think I see people do is play too defensively. Uh, I mean, hand,
4: hand raised over here by Ewok. Yeah. One hand raised. Two I, I didn't want right? to call
5: you out, buddy. Uh, but you, you got to go for the throat often. Right. If you if you try to play defensive, you're just giving them a chance to get their offense going and win the game. So uh,
3: it's I'm it's, just going to say every time I every time I go by Dan's philosophy, which for the longest time was always my philosophy in any sort of game. Dan comes and plays a borrow steals all my stuff, and then I'm just <laughs> left crying in the corner, sad and lonely. Just saying, it all it always happens. That's why I'm saying just chuck it and say, well, good goodbye. But think about the value that it's giving
4: to you. And so, but if think they think about don't, the value it could give your opponent. Correct. But if I get value, if I'm playing at turn one, and I get value on turn one, and because it's out there, turn one, two, three, if even, let's say, on average, I'm going to go ahead and get four turns out of it. Is that worth it?
3: At what, that, point, that is really it? At what depends. point
5: is it not? That depends right. so much on your know. deck. It is, it is very hard to say, but Borrow like, is just, definitely a card that can just ruin your day very quick with some of these artifacts.
3: And I, I got. I, I. I have to imagine, if I'm playing Shadows, which, I, I'm sorry, is in this set, kind of one of the weaker houses. No,
5: Shadows is one of the best houses in this I set. I would say uh, it is middle. No, you're
3: playing too much Archon. I got about, I got, let me give you all my shit shadows decks that are hey. in my box right now.
5: <laughs> I mean, bone and Rad Penny are both commons.
3: Yeah, and, and they're great they, cards. They make I'm not, decks. I'm not discrediting them, but, like, the shadows house, and maybe this is all houses, because I've opened tons of decks, so it's like, this house is great, but this house is poo-poo. I'm not interested, you know, like... I don't know. MM is such a strange set because like one bad house can just make the whole deck kind of chug, but then like one great house can just totally elevate like a, an entire deck. It's mind-boggling, really. Um, I haven't quite figured out MM to a hundred percent yet because it's just for me too crazy. If you guys have figured it out, call me stupid, but. I, I think there's just so many variables you can't account for everything. Yeah,
4: I think the problem is the steel still is extremely powerful, and having both bow knitting and Rad Penny with steel at a common slot really helps in a sealed format. Sure. Um, I would also argue that when you're looking at Safe Place as being able to have options to like pull back things like creatures right. like bow knitting and listen, Johnny forward.
3: Longfingers, my favorite card in the set, my guy. Yeah. I mean I love that, them, J- you know, J- like,
4: Johnny's are rare though. I think that you have borrowed uncommon. So and that's really it is look at the commons, look at what's happening. Um <laughs> and then look where you are in the actual tournament. Um is it your first round? Is it second? Like the, the deeper you get, you can probably start to assume that the players either know what they're playing or that they have some solid cards for coming from those houses. Again, I think there's things that each of these houses can do, but I also see some real weaknesses in each of them as well.
3: Right.
5: Yeah, so So I guess what I'm gonna if so I had I actually did three decks myself the other day and opened three decks, looked them over trying to decide what to play, and yeah, ultimately C was the biggest driving factor and then and then Amber control. When I I know I'm playing against other mass mutation because you find you play against one person with double subject Kirby and you don't have enough creature control to deal with that. They just flood you so fast. Yeah. You get real sad. And so many of the creatures have good play effects. Like, you know, half the dino combo creatures have built in creature control in them.
3: That's the other half. Like, if you kill them, you know, I gateway them all. They're all coming back. And most of the creatures in the set have play abilities.
5: Yeah, there are a lot of good playabilities in this set. So, like, Kirby's, um, things that we're talking about, you had to really watch for. Kirby's, Key Frog's, Johnny's, Senator Baracus, Ludo, depending on your deck, Purifier of Souls um, is a thing. Master of the Grey, pretty big time, because an average deck has nearly 18 pips in it, and Master of the Grey turns off all pips. Um yeah. So you got to deal with them. You got to remember to deal with your fandangles. Uh, he's definitely going to be a thing that is going to win games. Sins, right? You see, you see, sins starting coming down. They win games when not answered. So yeah. you got to deal with the sins. And then as we talked about, Kronos and Scrivener, which we think in Archon are often must deal with creatures. Maybe not so much in sealed. It's they're uh, they're more of an edge case, and you have to look at. Where the game situation is on dealing with them.
3: All right, we're closing into our final 60 seconds. So, JR, any final thoughts?
4: I just wanted to go ahead and send a big shout out to everyone who signed up for Keyforge Live. Super pumped about um, everyone signing up, and I look forward to being able to see you, being able to play. If you are too far away or you can't make it that weekend, no worries, but uh, we do appreciate all the support, and it's going to be a phenomenal weekend.
3: Mr. Dan? Keep
5: playing Keyforge. We are now playing Tuesday night Seals and Sunday night Archon. There is currently no Thursday night event, so quit looking for those for the time being.
3: <laughs> all right, I'm going to post these decks that Dan uh, did. Kind of, he kind of opened them up. Uh, they're all scanned, right? So QR yep, codes. They're are all not scanned now. Okay, so I'm going to post them onto Twitter. You guys can decide which deck. We've kind of already made our decision of which one we would choose, um, and try just to pick one. Don't use um you know don't don't use decks of keyforge don't use anything just use your eyes and scan them quickly you have five minutes to choose the best one and go and that's it so we'll see you all next week where we'll be talking what are we doing uh archon next week survival archon survival Survival strategies we will see you next week we're talking survival take it easy
7: We all love our pets, and at Hollywood Feed, we love your pets too. With everything from pet food to pet accessories, we have it all to treat your pet like family. Shop online with same-day delivery of our products so you can spend more time with your favorite family members. Best of all, if you or your pet don't love it, we'll replace it or refund it. Visit HollywoodFeed.com and
2: get $10 off your first same-day delivery order with a minimum purchase of $25. Use code Atlanta at checkout. HollywoodFeed.com I am Trey Saul's. During your divorce, you deserve complete attention, especially when it comes to your legal decisions that affect your children. Saul's Law Group takes care of you, and their experienced team helps families settle difficult domestic situations. Through these trials, it's important to save as much money as you can for your family. So Saul's Law Group is now offering reduced retainers for all clients old and new. Take advantage of Saul's Law Group's unmatched preparation and passion to fight for you in the courtroom. Go to Saul'sLawGroup.com today.
8: Sign up
1: for the newsletter so you never miss an update.
9: Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show, where we're doing it live this week to cover the latest PlayStation state of play. We have a lot of different games to dig into, including a very long look at Deathloop, which is only just a couple months away. I'm very, very excited to play it, and I, I just, I, I just want to get that game soon, but we're only a couple months away from that, as well as Death Stranding Director's Cut and a few other indies that we got a look at. Uh, to discuss everything we saw, I'm joined this this week by Brian Altano.
6: What's up,
0: Beyond? Hello. Hey, Brian. Let's do it. Good
9: good to see you. Also joined this week by Matt Kim. Matt, thanks for joining us.
0: Hello. Yeah. Uh, Nintendo voice chat, right?
9: No. No, no Matt. <laughs> no. We're live. We can't edit that out. What are you doing? Where was the
6: Switch Pro? What a
9: waste. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to the Switch OLED model not being there in a second. But of course, we're also joined this week by Max Scoville.
6: The number one Xbox podcast on IT. Oh, IGN. no. Oh,
9: God. I, I, Hello. I welcome to GameScoop. <laughs> I don't even have to imagine the comments, because we're doing this live, and so I'm sure the comments will just be there as we record. Uh, no, of course, we're going to be digging into the whole State of Play presentation, which we just saw about 30 minutes of some upcoming games uh, coming to PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and PSVR, uh, not, of course, PSVR 2, which just to get it out of the way, of course, if you didn't see the PlayStation blog announcement before the State of Play, we learned that that the next God of War, Horizon Forbidden West, and PSVR 2 wouldn't be at the state of play. So just to set expectations, we're not concerned about those not showing up. We'll talk maybe about what wasn't there, what could have been there, and and all that sort of jazz as we go through. But I I do want to talk about what actually was there, and I want to start with Deathloop, because that was the one that got sort of the marquee presentation. That was sort of the big advertised game of what was going to be here. Uh, We got a nine-minute look of Deathloop, uh, a little bit more of the actual loop of what Deathloop is. Uh, This is, of course, for those who don't know, coming from Arcane, which is now an Xbox-owned studio, but they're making a PlayStation 5 launch exclusive for the moment. These are the developers, of course, of Dishonored and the most recent Prey. Uh, Deathloop, we've seen before in a couple of state of plays and and gotten some very groovy trailers. Uh, I think the last state of play in March or February, whenever that was, we got a sort of music video of Deathloop, but this is probably the biggest chunk of gameplay we've seen of it yet. Uh, Brian, I wanted to start with you. What did, what did you think of this latest look, and what are your overall sort of feelings on Deathloop as we approach its launch?
7: Um, the game looks gorgeous. I feel like it looks a little bit better every time we see it. Uh, it's aesthetically, like, kind of uh, just incredibly fun to look at just because it it really takes advantage of sort of a lot of stylistic decisions it's got some great sort of energy to it uh some some great colors and stuff like that but the gameplay itself looks fun the weapons are weird and crazy and kind of vintage sci-fi which i dig um i don't know if i needed to see eight more minutes of a game that like i'm pretty excited for already but also you know uh this this is this is part of their their suite this year so obviously they do want to give it some
6: love
9: yeah, it, it definitely makes sense that we're seeing sort of a marquee one for this. And I assume that means we probably won't get one of those sort of like one-off uh, state of plays that we've gotten for a few games like Horizon and and even stuff like Destruction All-Stars that we've seen before. But uh, it, it definitely needed sort of a marquee look at what actual gameplay is. Because I think we've seen a lot of very, as you were saying, like really good looking stylized trailers, but showing people what the actual gameplay looks like a bit more uh, mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense for a show like this. Uh, Matt, I wanted to jump to you. I actually don't know your... History, or you know, whether you've played past arcane stuff, but what did you think of this look? And what are you, what are your sort of thoughts on Deathloop in general?
0: Yeah, I'm really excited for Deathloop, but I, I mean, you're kind of right. Like, I've dabbled with Dishonored and I've dabbled with, um, uh, with Prey, but I never, they never really kind of like gripped me in the same way that I'm really looking forward to Deathloop. Uh, I like the. The powers are cool, like Dishonored has really cool powers, and the story is really great. I was actually just kind of bad at Dishonored, and I was way <laughs> worse at Prey, but I don't know. So maybe I might be bad at uh, at this one too, but we'll see.
9: Yeah, I, I had the same problem. I've tried Dishonored 1, I want to say three times, and I'm just very bad at it. Mm. I just feel like I'm awful, but maybe Deathloop will solve that problem, because the whole point of it is, if you're bad and you die, well, you just start again.
0: Right, that um, like whole Dark Souls loop. Exactly. Mm-hmm
9: uh lived i repeat my mm-hmm. my favorite tom cruise film uh max i wanted to jump to you because we've talked about this definitely a bit before on the show and we were kind of talking during the state of play um and and we've sort of hinted at in this discussion but like i'm just i just want to play this game at this point i feel yeah, like no, we've totally. seen a lot of it but, but what did you think of this latest look
6: it's it's been an interesting game because i feel like when they first revealed it, they had the cinematic trailer that kind of alluded to what the gameplay the 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 eponymous loop is actually about but <laughs> didn't really show it in action. And then we saw like a, you know, previous demo that sort of did, I feel like this is the first time where what you're going to be, what you're doing is actually really clicked with me. And the thing that made my sort of ears perk up is how much it resembles Hitman. Yeah. Um, like being able to sort of, you know, where this person's going to be at this time. How are you going to off that person at mm-hmm. that time at that location? And the idea that there's some freedom in how you approach that is cool. Uh, it's definitely got some, you know, some sort of rogue like souls, like uh, elements to it there where I, I like the idea that they said that, uh, what is it reprise is a is a power-up it's basically a second life yeah let's you go back to your i mean it's it's very soulsy to be like oh there's your there's your glowing corpse go pick up your crap you know go get go get shadows it
7: die twice <laughs> yeah
6: right um yeah it's interesting because the thing that i always loved about that I, I fell madly in love with um hitman 3 earlier this year i was i was late to the party on that whole assassination trilogy but like that was so much fun for me and what really i love about that game is almost how sort of royalty-free and generic that world is. Like, it's very, it's all very familiar. And this is kind of the exact opposite where it's like, you've got wacky superpowers and everything is this completely uh, distinct and, uh, you know, unique aesthetic. And it's, I'm I'm curious to see if it does click. I'm kind of like you guys where I've tried to get into, uh, you know, Arcane's games a bunch, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's never really grabbed me. The, the funny thing is one of the, you know, core mechanics of Dishonored is the whole like, what is it like the chaos system where the more you die, the harder it gets or the worse, you know, it treats you in this case. It's almost like hinging on that. Like it's, it's a, it's, you're supposed to die here, you know? Mm -hmm.
9: Yeah. Because the the goal at the end of the day, I believe of the game is essentially there's a number of people you are uh, set out to assassinate on this Island. And the whole point is to be able to do it all in one single loop, uh, which obviously you're not going to be able to do in loop one. I though I'm sure I say that there's going to be a speedrunner who does it like day one, when the game comes out. Um, but yeah, I, it's a really interesting thing because all, like, I have heard such acclaim constantly for Arcane, and I feel like this is the first one, and maybe it's just after a year of, like, Hades and Returnal. Like, it's been a very good time for roguelikes. Uh, I feel like finally a game like this might click with me with the fact that it lets you kind of just jump through, and even if you die, it's okay. You'll get new weapons. You'll get, you'll learn more about the area. Um, it, it excites me in that way, but it's, it's an interesting one. I, I just, I think at this point, like, I just want to play it.
7: Well, buckle up, Jonathan, because I mean, I think there's uh, some bright futures for PlayStation and Arcane in the years ahead.
9: I think so, too. Surely their next game, whatever it may be, it's not like it's announced or anything, won't be exclusive to another console. Uh, No, it's a little interesting (laughs) thing. And just sort of on that note, I did want to touch very briefly on, obviously it wasn't here, but another game when this was before, of course, uh, Bethesda was acquired by Xbox at the uh, June showcase last year for the PS5. Arcane announced Deathloop as a PS5 launch exclusive coming to PC as well, and Tango Gameworks announced Ghostwire Tokyo coming to PlayStation 5 and PC as well. We have really not seen Ghostwire in no. months I want to say. That that mm. feels like a strange one too where I think tentatively there was like a PlayStation trailer that dropped at like CES that then removed the dates of things but that like pegged it for an October release. We're in this sort of weird place of like Bethesda is honoring these two games, but it's sort of like who who decides what gets promoted, who decides when these things take the spotlight. Like, I'm glad this game was here at a State of Play, but I don't I don't know how any of you feel. It's a weird case to be in, where
7: yeah, who 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 gets to stay with Dad on the weekends or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, it's, it does it does feel like there's. You know, there's like a lot of questions in sort of where the uh, the chips fall on this kind of weird custody battle that happened with this massive uh, transaction between two video game companies. But I, I hope we see it again soon. Um, I mean, if it becomes a multi platform game, so be it. I'm cool with that too. But, uh, but let's. I feel like that that's in the hands of lawyers right now, which are like <laughs> the least interesting people to talk about on a video game platform, unless they're Phoenix Wright.
9: Uh, no, I'd actually love to get into a little legal jargon. Speaking of Lost <laughs> there Judgment, there it is. Was at There's the that show. segue. Um, really I, I'm skipping around a little bit, it's but really I, I do want to because you gave me the segue, and I have to do it. Uh, Lost <laughs> Judgment got a new trailer. This is a game that we've we've seen revealed before. Um, it's a sequel to Judgment. Uh, that I like that they're not just going Judgment Two or Judgment Er. Uh, I, I like the sort of naming convention here. This is, of course, a. It started as a spinoff of the Yakuza franchise. But as Yakuza went turn-based with Like a Dragon most recently, and, and Matt, I believe you can speak to this a little bit more, uh, th- they've sort of discussed how Like a Dragon, Yakuza in general will sort of take on this more, you know, mm-hmm. turn-based RPG sort of scenario, and Judgment will let them still have their cake and eat it too by being a, you know, real-time action sort of franchise.
0: Yeah, that was a, a really uh, crazy announcement that that we were able to work with. Like, so we spoke with Nagoshi-san when they announced Judgment Two or Lost Judgment in the first, like earlier this spring, uh, and we were like, um, yeah. So, is what's the two-pronged approach basically with between Judgment and the Yakuza series? And they did confirm to us that Yakuza, starting with Like a Dragon, is going to be turn-based going forward. And now, if you want that classic. You know, RGG studio action brawler feeling, you're going to have to play Judgment, which is great because Judgment's a great spin off series.
9: And so I really, uh, Max, I want to throw to you because I've only played a few hours of Judgment, obviously, nowhere near as steeped into the Yakuza franchise as you are. But like, Yakuza, or Judgment when I first played it, definitely felt more like a uh a take on like case of the week crime investigation stories it seemed to have the yakuza flair but i didn't get far enough into it's, it to know if it did lost judgment feels like it is it is the yakuza game that you know you would expect like it definitely all the feels the like
6: games. a kind of uh separated at birth like you know parent trap switcheroo where you've got the uh long running series about the the criminals in the street who beat people up and that becomes a turn-based game with lots of stats and menus and then the game about a lawyer who talks to people in courtrooms and looks for clues has become a real time beat em up. Um, (laughs) But yeah, this is uh, the, the main character is Yagami who is a, uh, a former lawyer turned detective basically who uh, then will sort of kind of work with a, you know, with like a a law office to sort of solve mysteries and stuff. But you know, he, because he's not a lawyer, he can hit the street in a leather jacket and do skateboard tricks and beat the crap out of people. Um, It's I'm excited about this. The first one was, was good. It definitely had this sort of feeling of like, them finding their footing like it felt not light on features but n- not quite as sort of jam-packed with them as some you know you can kind of see the jump between games in, in the Yakuza series but um they had like you know they had like a little bit of parkour they had like drone racing they had uh, uh you know some some wall running stuff and in this case they're clearly really leading into it and I'm I'm stoked to see kind of what they do with it also apparently you get a Shiba Inu which is which is cool and he can make him bite people into it yeah i
9: that was a, a wonderful scene so it was just like the the, the jumps between different mini games i assume or, or elements of it as someone who does another franchise uh and obviously you do and and brian I, I don't want to misspeak but you you've been recently starting to pick up yakuza as well a little bit correct
7: yeah and i also played the first few hours of the first judgment game i i really like how uh more sort of vertical this one's going like there's there's climbing and wall running and a stamina meter and stuff like that i just love how fun these games uh, are at sort of like presenting quasi serious themes but also mixing them in with utter nonsense like Shibas and you know bike racing and stuff like that that is one of my favorite things i've ever seen just like throwing a guy upside down into a wall kicking him and then punching him in the belly until he falls on his head that's great more games should have that so yeah, I'm totally into this. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to catch up on all of the Yakuza games before this comes out because this doesn't come out five years from now and those games take like 85 hours each, but I'll get there, I promise.
9: <laughs> no, it, it does come out in September. It's a worldwide launch and I, I do want to talk sort of about the, the various release dates that we saw throughout this in a little bit. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited to jump and i guess max says i know we have probably thrown this question to you a, a dozen times on the show but especially with lost judgment for people who might want to jump in do you think it's fine to just play judgment and then go to lost judgment or should people be going back to yakuza I, right now i
6: can't well? speak to it i mean you could definitely get into judgment right off the right off the bat there's actually a surprising lack of overlap between that and yakuza like it's in the same universe but it's not like a familiar character will, will show up um like a dragon uh is basically a fresh start if you want to get into yakuza it's it's really good i i adored that game uh however if you aren't familiar with uh with the yakuza series there is some stuff in there where you might not get the full the full effect of it um but judgment is you know it's definitely a newer series and if you want like a cool beat-em-up that's kind of captures that same same appeal where you've got this like you know over serious main campaign and then completely wackadoo side missions and activities uh it's you know covers those bases and uh now there's now there's two of them.
9: Yeah, and uh yeah, I'm looking forward to jumping into the skateboarding, the boxing and the the racing mm-hmm. and whatever else it holds.
6: Oh, one yes, key thing, um Yakuza like a Dragon was the first Yakuza game to be fully dubbed since the original PS2 release, whereas Judgment is dubbed or subbed in I mean this was the English language trailer. Um but the first one was was the, the first RGG game that they I think had, you know, English voice acting too, which is, you know, I know that's, that can be subtitles can be a deal breaker for some people, but um, you know, that's yeah. an option.
9: From what I remember also from the first few hours, I thought the, the English voice cast did a really solid job with it mm. uh, as well. But um, yeah, this is a, I'm, I'm excited to see this franchise continue. I really, really need to make the time to get into all of it. Uh, even though apparently some of the Yakuza games, I think you can just do like a sim in the middle of there and, and run a, but can't you run like businesses with dude i became
6: games? a ceo I, I i became like an executive of like a cracker company and i wound Fair up enough. having a, a amusement park that was run by a chicken and a giant roomba so i don't even like finances but those, that stuff will get you sucked <laughs> in
9: well, uh, it it sounds like fun micromanagement in the best way possible. Uh, and if you like to micromanage things, uh, one game that I loved that you micromanage your weight distribution is Death Stranding because you got to carry a lot of heavy packages across long distances. Uh, Death Stranding director's cut was revealed a few weeks back at uh, uh, Keeley's opening night live showcase, I want to say, um, and we got a uh, a teaser trailer for it then. That was sort of very Metal Gear Solid inspired, but this. Latest trailer, uh, which also gave us a release date again for September, uh, let us see a little bit more of what it's bringing that feels more like Death Stranding, but also not. Uh, the first thing I just got to point out is there's a racing game in there now. Uh, yeah, I think that yeah. was the first thing that caught us all completely off guard.
6: This is completely <laughs> this is completely on brand for Kojima. This is not this is not weird. This is exactly what we've seen with like the majority of sort of you know version 1.5s of Metal Gear games. He's been doing this since Metal Gear Solid 2, where he was like the big shell needs more skateboards on it. And lo and behold, he did. And it seems like kind of more of the same in that, in that sense. I'm I'm so
7: glad he got to finish his vision without the studio oversight that was all over the original death stranding. You know, the <laughs> amount of times that Konami would kick in the door and be like, Oh uh, wait, no, that was entirely no. his own doing mm-hmm. the other. One. Um, yeah. So my question for this game is, do you think a lot of this content is going to sort of naturally weave into the flow of the game? No. Like, did you think no. it will be standalone side stuff?
0: Not even I a little think bit. The-
9: you go ahead, Matt. So yeah. you think it'll be...
0: No, I think it's just going to be like you do a side quest and like, hey, by the way, I just happen to have a post-apocalyptic uh, racing track in my backyard. You should try it out.
7: I, yeah, I... so, so yeah, what, what I'm asking is like, will you be able to access it from the menu? Or is this going mm-hmm. to just appear sort of like during a playthrough?
9: I think it would be something that appears during a playthrough, but like you'll have to probably seek it out a little bit more yeah. um mm-hmm. i think stuff that like the as the trailer is playing as we go for those who are watching on video and uh, not listening to audio later but the, there's a few new extra items that are also very amusing and essentially will help you with package delivery and traversal like a buddy bot or a cannon to throw things my assumption is those will be sort of like naturally peppered in the way that you unlocked other
2: mm-hmm. uh,
9: traversal items and things like that i assume those will just kind of be you know, put in throughout. like because yeah, the, the, the rest of the stuff. But
7: where was my race car and my robot when I kept falling down that wet hill? <laughs> like those were what I. Which one?
9: There were many wet I know. hills in that game. Um, but yeah, I. But Matt, I wanted to throw to you because you, you've been playing it a little bit more recently. You you didn't play it at launch, but you've been playing uh Death Stranding since then. In in a year that felt very Death Stranding like um what are are you like where were you in the game and are you gonna like pause your playthrough to jump into director's cut like where, where are you with this yeah. sort of new version of the game
0: uh i'm i think i'm a i think i'm like 60 or 70 percent of the way through and yeah i did start uh at the beginning of this sort of year in which we were all sort of stuck inside which makes death stranding hit really different right like you're going you're going around this this post-apocalyptic world people are indoors they're like oh you know we can't we can't leave our homes thank you delivery man for for giving us this connection to the outside world and I was like yeah I feel that that's a big that's a big mood um but no I'm having a great time with that game and um I I don't know I'm at a point where I feel like I'm close to the ending and so I feel like I kind of need to finish before playing the director's it's i'm in that bad part if i start if i was like earlier (laughs) i definitely would have probably like wait uh wait until september but i'm so close to the end and i oh my god i kind of it's a tough game it's a tough game to like restart you know
6: it's yeah i was just
0: gonna say that it's
6: kind of feels like uh, a game that makes you go uphill both ways in the snow in some Mm -hmm. case literally and (laughs) i you know i finished this game i ground through it stupidly quickly before it you know was officially released and wanted to have all my thoughts on it. And I, I, I feel like it's the, um, it's the classic scene in Matilda where they make the boy eat the entire cake in one sitting. Uh, and I don't like. I, I am interested in checking this out, but I really hope there's some kind of save transfer or like, you know, go like you played the first game. We see mm-hmm. how many hours you sunk into it. You get the car, the cargo catapult from day one, or like mm-hmm. here you are. Here's all your crap unlocked. Like it would be right. nice if it had sort of a new game plus approach. Um, because then I'd be down to, you know, poke around, but you know, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a weird game. It definitely, uh-huh. it, when it came out, Matt, it was kind of stupid. And then six <laughs> months later, it was really relevant and, and serious. So,
0: right. Like mm. for months before it came out, uh, Kojima was like, you know, I, I was, I'm really looking at to save the world right now. And, and this is just sort of like my, 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 my thesis on, on the current, you know, modern day civilization. And he was just six months early. You know yeah he was just, he was just <laughs> yeah. off by a couple months
6: you know i really should replay this because since this game came out and i first played it uh covet happened and then i had a kid so it might hit real different <laughs> it
9: might mm-hmm. be yeah it's uh, i would say because max i know you're you're uh, intimating it a little bit but like you you crammed this game in, in like a very short span and this mm-hmm. is a game that i think like works best as a slow burn like it is absolutely not a game for everyone i I completely understand the faults and criticism people have with it but like my my most entertaining moments of it were like i would go back to it a couple nights per week and just you know build a couple pieces of road and maybe go to like one outpost and then just drive along for a little bit and like people would give me a thumbs up and i'd give them a thumbs up like there's there's something nice and and methodical to that but Mm -hmm. as a like a thing to mainline and rush mm-hmm. this is not a game it's for also that.
6: like it's a very weird sort of social game in that sense it's like you know that yeah. kind of passive social interaction but at the same time you're in this isolated landscape and mm-hmm. playing it like pre-launch there was you know people were building ramps and doing that stuff and it was all really cool but it, it didn't have the level of involvement that i think it would have if i'd waited three weeks or whatever you know people yeah right. I, I don't know if we're gonna have to build that entire race course or not mm-hmm. i hope i hope not that might <laughs> take <No>. a while <laughs> yeah um, i just want go ahead a no, I just, cause
7: I I think what, what's really cool is seeing, like, I, I feel like a, Kojima is a brilliant dude and he's got a bunch of weird little ideas and weird big ideas. And this is, I feel like we're going to get a bunch of his like sort of napkin sketches here, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Stuff that maybe wouldn't have worked as an entire game, weird concepts and designs and characters and settings and themes and stuff like that, uh, and, and just you know, weird vehicles and robots and stuff. I, I love, I love like when he can commit to something like that as a full game, but also seeing a bunch of those small things is great. I mean, even if you didn't like this game, you can't not be happy for the people who did getting a whole bunch of weird new uh, toys to play with in the sandbox. You know?
9: Yeah. i Oh, sorry. You go ahead. No, you go ahead, Matt.
0: Uh, yeah, two thoughts. One serious, one less serious. But the but the first thing is, so I'm playing Death Stranding on PC, right? And I think. A lot of the improvements over the PS4 version that you can get in PS five, way faster loading times, uh is gonna help a ton for people. Uh the mm-hmm. PS4 load times were a nightmare and uh my computer can load up uh after a death in like a couple seconds, and I think PS five players are gonna get the same thing and it just makes a world of difference. Um and the second thought is uh you know that joke about Bloodborne Cart? Yeah. Yeah. I like how Kojima just. I'm gonna make Death Stranding cart. I'm gonna do it.
9: <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, if you just need a new car game, just put it in an existing game. Right? Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. And and Brian, you were joking a little bit about it earlier, but sort of the like the director's cut naming of it. I feel like between this and Ghost of Tsushima, director's cut is just a thing Sony is doing, and not necessarily like a per like mm. true to the game because as like as you're saying the whole point of death stranding was letting kojima have his vision on mm-hmm. un- un- unencumbered by the corporate oversight that you know it was I mean, wrapped up in so much of the konami drama
7: it's brilliant branding if you think about sony uh what they're trying to do with sort of presenting games as these massive cinematic experiences. And it's brilliant branding. If you don't think about it for more than three seconds at all, because like the directors who made these games made, they're continuing to make these games. And like this, this isn't really like a, a Snyder cut, situation where like they they lock the studio and they're like don't stop coming in here photoshopping (laughs) all the you know the weird alien men into the movie and Um, it's
9: also it's a mix of refinements and new additions like the the combat will be improved here but there will also be just new big battles in the same way that like ghost will have a new island to go visit but is also making updates like the um the vocal track they they will have the the facial dubbing or the the facial animation matched to the japanese uh voice track so it's like it's a mixture of things that I think makes sense. Director's Cut is just a, that, as you said, it, it makes sense for what PlayStation wants you to think of their studios as. But it's you know, it's there are I mean, especially with the, the
6: shift to, to PlayStation Studios, it very much kind of fits that you know kind of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know naming convention. But uh, it's it's also it's it's so much less tacky than like Game of the Year Edition, which is what right. we used to get for this kind of right. thing. It was the yeah. you know this makes it feel like oh this is how you know this is the final version as opposed to like. This is the version that's uh, it's got the quotes on the box and it's uh you, you know twenty bucks cheaper maybe mm-hmm. no not really yeah we no. the drew all over yeah. Batman yeah exactly <laughs> and it's got a it's
0: got a garish like greatest hits collection yep, banner yep. ribbon somewhere in the box art. Hey, yeah. you want a case that doesn't
6: match the rest of your other games? Here you go.
7: <laughs> I didn't see any monkeys you can pet in uh, Death Stranding Director's Cut, so Ghost of Tsushima still has the edge right now. But I think that, uh, yeah. yeah, we should we should do a comparison because they did they did not add race cars to Ghost of Tsushima, mm. so there's very true. you know, pick your they pick might your have poison. horse
6: racing. We don't know that.
9: You take the good, you take the bad i was gonna keep going but i don't need to reference a 50 year old sitcom (laughs) uh anyway moving on from there 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 were a few other uh games that i i think are worth bringing up and including let's talk about what started the show uh because i think it speaks also to what wasn't there in an interesting way uh moss 2 was uh, was announced uh this is of course sequel to a a pretty beloved probably one of the more beloved ps vr titles it's available on other vr Uh, headsets as well but moss 2 was brand new announced at the beginning of the state of play just for playstation vr so uh, of course before the show they had said psvr 2 next gen psvr whatever they want to call it wouldn't be here so this means that this is probably a little bit closer on the horizon than vr 2 like i do want to talk about what we think it means for for the next headset but um moss i thought was a really really charming uh sort of first round of what psvr could do i hope this sequel takes into account like a lot of the advancements some other uh psvr games and vr in general have made but brian what do you think about this announcement
7: um, I love the first Moss. It's uh, one of my favorite VR games ever. It's adorable. I think it, it does really smart things that you can't really pick up on, on this trailer where a lot of VR games have you sort of play in first person and interact with stuff. But there's also the ones that sort of let you look down on something as if it was happening in, you know, a little stream in your backyard or on a table in front of you. Um, and th- this thing, This game does a really good job of playing with scale. Again, when you're just looking at here, you wouldn't really know. But when you're... Actually experiencing this in VR, looking down at it uh, as as like small miniatures running around on the table, I love that so much. Um, I do think that the timing on this is very odd, and that has nothing to do with the studio making this game. It looks awesome, but for Sony themselves to sort of be in that weird window between PSVR, which is not really a thing that anyone is is seeking out anymore, uh, that I don't really, I can't even imagine how many of those they're selling every single month right now. It's probably abysmally low. Um, especially because it's, it doesn't really like nothing about the PS five to the average consumer is screaming. You need a PSVR for this right now, you know? Um, and then we saw that like that weird PlayStation blog thing where they're like, Hey, we have the, uh, you know, PSVR two is in the works, but we can't show it to you yet. And so I, I think it's interesting to like, not have an E3 press conference, have a state of play a month later, kick it off with a VR game that works, you know, with your hardware from five years ago or whatever that uses controllers from 12 years ago and then not have anything to say about your new vr system yet i just like i i'm glad for the on behalf of the developers that they gave moss to a showcase that's that's awesome i it's it felt weird and and uh, and off to kick off the show with a game that you know is uh, uh, ostensibly on like very last gen hardware at this point
9: Especially, unless I'm not forsa- uh, mistaken, not forsaken, forsaken. <laughs> uh, unless I'm forsaken uh, by the PlayStation gods among us. Uh, no, this was the only VR game, as far as I can yeah. remember, mm-hmm. at least the only like VR-only game. And yeah, it's a very weird time for PSVR, because it's definitely, as you were saying, like it's five-year-old VR tech using controllers from a decade ago. Um, we know there's something new on the horizon. I, I just... Like, I really hope the game is great, but I also can't help but think, but what if they were just allowed to take advantage of VR2? And that's not to say, like, they probably can do a remastered version for VR2. I'm sure, like, mm-hmm. it'll look great and play great. Uh, as you said, I'm really happy for these devs because it's a great game, and I can't wait to have more of this world. But it's it's a very strange moment for PSVR.
6: So I have a, yeah. I have a theory there. Yes. Uh, the first Moss was a timed exclusive for PSVR, um, then came to, like, you know, Quest and Vive and all that other stuff. If the PlayStation VR two is further away than you know, maybe we think it is. If it's if it's still a year and a half off or whatever, uh, and this is also a timed exclusive for that, maybe the devs just want to get it out there. You know, maybe they just want to get it out for PS four, and then what you know eventually it can come to PS uh, you know PSVR two or whatever. But it, you know, if they've got a, a timed exclusivity window, like I can assume that they, maybe they don't want to wait around for. Uh, you know, for the second iteration of PSVR to show up. And, right. I mean, I'm completely, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm spitballing here, but.
7: No, uh, I mean, could, could you imagine them? Could you imagine Sony launching new hardware right now? like <laughs> <laughs> when they people can't, can't
9: buy their other hardware you can't
7: <laughs> buy their other hardware like the install base for psvr was it, it was like wii u numbers mm-hmm. um which at the time made it one of the best-selling uh vr headsets right on the market but i can't even imagine them being like you know let's take the amount of ps5 owners right now out there and then ask them to buy into like another you know, $300, $400, $500 ecosystem on top. This of is a
6: That's really crazy. weird thing to kick off this state of play with, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, like,
9: I, yeah. I was just going to say, like speaking to Brian's point, like super excited, like in, in a vacuum for this game, very mm-hmm. happy for the devs to be able to have it out there. But yeah, it is a, it is a strange marker of what's here, especially because so much of this, uh, this state of play was focused kind of on the next three months. Like this was really about July, August, September mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, and so to have this one in here, uh, just briefly, I want to point to uh, Ryan McCaffrey actually spoke to the the developers of this. He's a huge Moss fan, probably the biggest Moss fan uh, on the IGN team. So he spoke to the devs for this announcement and uh, they said, one, that this, the, the biggest piece of feedback was just that people wanted more of the game. So this one is definitely going to be a larger experience. But uh, he asked about PSVR 2 and they said, we don't have anything to talk about regarding next-gen plans at this moment. Uh, but they haven't announced any sort of release date as well so it's it's a strange moment for this game and for PSVR but yeah i you know they showed off the VR uh next gen VR controllers like a couple months back which seemed shockingly early but um <clears throat> excuse me like with console shortage i don't know how you all feel but like with console shortage uh chip shortage, all these sorts of things. Like, I thought maybe PSVR 2 could come in 2022. I'm now thinking probably not till 2023, maybe. Right. Like, maybe late 2022. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like the right time.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, I think the only sense of urgency I would feel if I was Sony is that the PlayStation VR is no longer the most accessible VR headset on the yeah. market, right? now nah, they've got major competition from the mm-hmm. uh, from the Quest. And like, every year there's no uh, consumer-grade competitor alternative, Facebook is just Mm going to keep consolidating that sort of casual VR market.
7: I know, I know exactly how to solve this. I can solve this right here. Uh, Sony, bundle PSVR 2 with PS5 and sell it for a dollar less than the average scalper sells the average PS5 for. <laughs> and you will still sell PS5 units. You will have a one-to-one conversion rate of anybody buying the PSVR. Still a standalone option too for people like me that already have a PSVR, PS5. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to do it because they're selling every single PS5 they make. And so if they glue it to something else, by that logic, it's got to sell too.
6: Hey, it worked for the Kinect and the Xbox One. What could go wrong? You know?
9: Exciting days ahead regardless. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a... Uh, congrats to the Moss team on Polyarc for mm. announcing Moss 2. Very excited to play it, but yes, a very interesting time to be a PSVR owner. One, one uh, thing. I, yes, go I, ahead.
6: I think it would be really cool if they use this game to show off PSVR 2 whenever it happens, because yes. we know what it looks like in PSVR. You know, even mm-hmm. even if you haven't played it in VR, I feel like it's a very it's got very clean aesthetics and you kind of get a sense of like what graphically it's capable of. And if, you know, the, the next PSVR iteration is uh, capable of doing way more, which obviously it it will be that I think it's a very, it's a very easy to do sort of side-by-side graphics comparison of like, here's what it looked like on the last one. Here's what it looks like on the new one. And you can see the mouse's hair as opposed to it just being sort of a, you know, round white shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh just to quickly
9: double back also, breaking news. The PlayStation blog post for Death Stranding has finally gone up as we're talking. And uh speaking to the save transfer thing, they do confirm that saves will be transferable.
0: Um <sighs> Looks like so, I'm playing the director's cut.
9: Yep, that is that like that makes me so much more excited to play that thing because I was like, I want to dip in, but I don't know if I'm going to play 70, 80 more hours of mm-hmm. it. But yeah, that's a that's a very good sign. Um they also mentioned it will include haptic feedback, um, bespoke adaptive trigger resistance, uh, 3D audio, uh, ultra-fast SSD loading, uh, and then we'll have two uh, picture modes, performance mode with upscaled 4K and up to 60 frames per second, or fidelity mode in native 4K, uh, both with ultra-wide and HDR support.
7: I feel oh, like wow. Dual Sense is going to be awesome in this game over different types oh. types of terrain, and I feel like 3D
0: audio for the baby screaming is going to be the worst thing I've ever heard. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. can yeah. you imagine the the feeling in your hands when you're trying to like wade through that goop? You know the goop? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I I oh. mean, Kojima made a Game Boy Advance game or you know published
6: one where you had to go outside to charge up your vampire killing sunlight gun. Uh, <laughs> so like, I feel like giving him a, a thing with haptic feedback is going to yield some interesting results, and I. I know I know what it feels like to to calm a real baby. I don't know mm. what it feels like to calm a BB when I'm being <laughs> attacked by muddy buddies from the death <laughs> stranding. You're going to
7: get um, 3D audio if your kid starts crying. This is, this is like a really bad
6: game to play if like my kid's asleep because I'm going to have the monitor next the audio. to me. But then the baby's going to be screaming out of the controller and it's going to be the same size speaker. It's not, it's oh God. not that's going to be way. like yeah.
7: how they shot the Matrix, but with just babies crying in a circle around.
9: <laughs> like gunshots um, on the
6: 4th of July. What could go wrong? Oh,
9: jeez. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, blowing right past that. Uh, just to speak a little bit more to it, they, they do mention in the blog post. Uh, basically addressing what we just spoke about. It's almost like they're listening. Uh, The new content isn't simply bolted on either. It's been carefully woven into the core game experience and will be made available through Discovery as you play. Uh, Most of the content is fairly easy to find, though there are some bits and pieces that will take some time to find and unlock. Uh, Also, interestingly, all of the content from the PC version that was the Half-Life and Cyberpunk uh, DLC Mm -hmm. content they added will be available in the Director's Cut, which is funny. Um, Wait, so...
7: Yeah. So, so your saves carry over, but to experience all the new content, you will find it naturally through playing the game.
9: So, my my guess is that basically, like, if you are starting it up for the first time, it will just be woven in. But if mm-hmm. you are, my my guess is, it's like if you are jumping into a late game save, you'll get you know, yeah, calls to you that are like, oh, by the way, have you checked over here? Something changed in that area recently? Like, probably yeah. I like right the idea of like, it's like a race
7: car driver calls you, and then like a speed ramp guy calls you, and they <laughs>
0: I mean, that's how they wove into the Cyberpunk DLC, right? Is that you got an email that's like, hey, remember this old area? Fast travel there. There's something weird. And check it out. Yeah, and you get a thing. And, and I like
9: think that. it's going to gonna be all stuff like that. Uh, just to quickly bring in uh, some comments from the community, Foam Knuckles said, I'm going to give the director's cut a try. It just looks really interesting and out of my comfort zone, which you need sometimes so you don't get too stuck in the same cycle of games. And yeah, uh, there are a few things to compare Death Stranding to. So definitely if you're looking for something a little bit outside of the... Uh, cycle of games though maybe not the cycle of life death stranding might be it's like you. a
6: cross between Paperboy and yoshi's island that's basically <laughs> what the game is
9: there you go you got it uh you got it in one uh moving on from there a few things to just quickly mention uh sifu got another trailer this was uh, premiered at a state of play uh, earlier this year as well really cool looking beat-em-up uh, action game from the makers of oh god i just blanked on absolver. the game absolver thank you absolver yeah. I, uh, thank you for that uh really cool looking game uh as we all sort of joked about during the show and all time, i throw to you uh, one of the most interesting delays I've seen ever in a trailer. Yeah. Th- so uh,
7: the whole sort of like gameplay trailer thing shows a, a lot of different like sort of numbers that are uh, with a motion graphic moving around. And then at the end of the trailer through to the release date, which we all thought was 2021 and then changed to 2022, which totally sucks like they, they made like a custom animation for a game delay, which I, I guess is funny, like is in a, you know, in retrospect, but in the moment I was like, what that don't, don't do that. <laughs> like, that, like, I, I, I really wanted to play this game this year. This is like one of my most anticipated PlayStation games this year. And it's not this year anymore. And they did, they did that through a clever animation, which I felt. A little cruel.
9: <laughs> I, it was just. It was really funny because it, it it's mirroring as you may have seen in the trailer. It's mirroring sort of the the aging up because your your character uh, every time you die, I believe your your new character is a little bit older. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it, it was mirroring the like age effect for their transitions that it, they were using but yeah when it changed I thought it was going to give us the date and so it right. was just really funny to be like oh they're changing from the year to the date and no it's just a a year later the the mm-hmm. release date has aged as much as your character
7: ages they should have been like you and then they put your age and then it just gets a year older <laughs> <laughs> um,
9: nonetheless still looks really cool as Brian was saying like can't wait to play this one um, I believe during the premiere uh, Matt you were saying during the show but you spoke to the developer Developers, uh earlier this year when the, the game was revealed uh to take a little bit further so people can go check that out from a few months back if they want to hear more Yeah
0: yeah it's a cool it's a cool game. The developers uh are very nice people and, and they seem really you know a, a lot of them at the studio uh learned Shaolin Kung Fu. I think one of their founders uh is a big practitioner and because he's a big practitioner, a lot of the other devs like started joining him and so now I guess like half the team just practice kung fu in france because of of this game and then you know i mean good for them so i'm really excited for it bringing people together
9: uh yeah, right? moving on from there a couple of the other cool indies that were shown off uh jet the far shore which i believe debuted at that uh june showcase last year for the ps5 as well uh this is the latest game from the sword and sorcery devs uh we got a bit of a a lengthier uh, deep dive into this one, Max. What did, what did you think of this one? Because you were, I think you were comparing it to a couple games that that seemed to
6: track with me while we were talking, sort of like Flower ish. Uh, what was I saying? I don't know if. Oh, did you say Matt?
9: I said Max, but Max or Matt? Any of? I the don't Max? think
6: that was that. Might have been Matt who said that. I mean, no, Fair it's enough. it's it looks you know like a very kind of chill, spacey kind of you know indie game. Uh, I, I'm kind of getting uh, Tacoma vibes from the crew you know, like Mm -hmm. the, the, you've got this, this strange group of characters that I guess you're going to get to know. And then, you know, the bulk of the game seems to be flying around in this little hopping jet spaceship. But then there's, there were also, you know, first person shots of climbing ladders and then you, you know, shots of the crew hanging out eating, I think curry. And it's, uh, yeah, it looks, it looks definitely like one of those kind of, you know, uh, for for, if we want to be blunt about it it looks kind of like Death Stranding if you pull the camera back really far and it made it a lot faster which seems like a nice kind of laid back experience but yeah look I don't know what this is I don't know what this game looks like and uh, Sword and Sorcery is definitely not a conventional game in any sense so I, it's you know this, this looks like
0: it could be really interesting I got real um, you remember the opening shots of Prometheus where that big grey mm-hmm. man was standing over mm-hmm. the waterfall I got like that was the only thing that I was, I was thinking of when I kept watching this trailer
9: i see that what if what if you made a whole game out of those those five minutes of like beautiful nature shots yeah just that five
0: minutes of really interesting prometheus mystery but then the rest (laughs) of the movie happened
9: yeah we won't talk about that part uh no yeah i i think this one looks really cool the the pedigree of the studio is a a really awesome one and yeah i'm just curious to to know like this showed a lot more gameplay than i think we've seen before but i'm just really interested to be like what is an hour of playing this game look like because you're right it bounces between different perspectives uh different things you're doing in the ship out of the ship i just kind want to know what we're going to be doing you know for a chunk of it but i'm I'm definitely excited to see more of this one uh a few of the other games just to mention that also popped up during the show uh arcade was announced in early access today. This is from the Ilphonic devs who, if you don't know, made Predator Hunting Grounds. Uh, this is their latest game free of an IP. It's it's not related to any sort of uh, existing established brand as they made clear in the trailer. Uh, it's available in early access right now. Uh, Matt, I do believe you, you had brought this up before it happened. And then when it happened, uh, it, some Splatoon vibes definitely in there a little bit.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a multiplayer PVP ish uh, with, Colorful goo, colorful goo, right? The the connecting mm-hmm. thread. That's a way to go uh, yeah. between Splatoon, this game, and Death Stranding.
9: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and it, uh, it looks cool. I'll definitely give it a try. It's nice that it's early access, and I believe we can just jump in today mm-hmm. on PS5. So if you're a PS5 player, you might already be playing that as you're listening to us. Uh just very briefly want to mention Fist, aka Forged in Shadow Torch, is coming on September 7th. That was the 2D bunny game. That looks pretty cool as well. Uh, we got a post-launch planned look at Tribes of Midgard, which comes out a little bit later this month, I believe the last week of the month. Uh, we got word of Hunter's Arena, which is a 30-player battle royale coming to PS4 and PS5 in August, uh, August 3rd, I believe that one drops, uh, and then a few other uh, updates from various other games. Uh, But I sort of wanted to talk just about overall impressions before we wrap up, uh, because uh, we we were talking a little bit during the show, and Brian, I guess I'll start with you. Uh, You know, PlayStation wasn't at E3 this year. This is their first post-E3 event, uh, sort of after everyone else has gone. Uh, We haven't heard from a We saw the Horizon Forbidden West, forgive me, state of play right before E3, but before that it was the state of play in, you know, March or February. What what did you think of this as a like a post E3 showing for them? Do do you feel like we're just not going to get big shows from them anymore? Because this felt sort of like a, a brief check in, not like a here's everything PlayStation.
7: Yeah, I think you totally just nailed it. Uh, Contextually, like that makes a major difference here is that this is still sort of within the, you know, E3 was three or four weeks ago. So we're we're still sort of basking in that a little bit, right? There was a ton of announcements there that people are still really excited about. People are looking at IGN, watching the trailers over and over every single day. And so this feels like not only did they miss that party, but they kind of showed up a month late with, you know, just you know, a couple of, a couple of beers and some snacks, which is good. You know, that's fun. We can hang out, but like this, this doesn't really feel like they were part of the big conversation this year. Um, and in terms of the pacing on this thing, I thought it was interesting and it had some good ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bummed that it didn't have like a one more surprise type thing. Um, but on the flip side, ending with death loop means that if you didn't like it, you could have stopped watching, assuming, you also didn't think there'd be like a post-credit stinger, like everything has now. But yeah, all in all, I mean, it it's it it didn't really feel like a big hyped event. It had some cool stuff in it that I'm excited to play. Um, it was nice to hear from them, so I won't I won't complain.
9: Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm really happy at the very least that they set expectations for these. They really seem to have been burned by the first couple's date of plays, and I think putting in like you know, we're not doing God of War Horizon PSVR 2 at this. It it helps kind of put your expectations in check that this is not the future of PlayStation. This is, you know, the next couple of weeks of PlayStation. Uh, Max, obviously we've been covering a lot of, you know, these PlayStation showcases the last few years since they adopted the state of play model. What did you, what did you think of the show overall and what did you feel like Was this the right first post E3 move for that? I mean, if we're
6: going with the, the social gathering comparison, I feel like this is less showing up to a party late with a few beers and snacks. This feels more like showing up, uh, you skip the wedding, you're showing up (laughs) midway through the reception and you're horribly underdressed. Like this is, this is obviously a bunch of really cool games. And I think it is good that Sony definitely like, uh, you know, told us to sort of keep our expectations in check, but it it also just makes me wonder when are they going to show the big stuff? Like they put out a new console last year and then they skipped E three. Like mm-hmm. what? When are we going to see some big exciting stuff? I, I I mean we've got we got that big you know the what is it the future of the future of gaming or whatever with the, the big PS five reveal that happened last summer, uh, which wasn't a state of play that was treated like its own kind of standalone event. So I don't know if we're going to get another one of those that's treated as a much more you know spectacular sort of tentpole event. Um, but you know this this just felt. this was i mean it was it was it was underwhelming like i'll I'll say it it was that there there was some cool games in there but as like a as a just an overall reveal of a of new games in the middle of the summer when the i i assumed that sony was just sort of sitting on on something and they i mean i hope they are because they put out a new system last year but yeah i mean it was this was this was this was whatever there was there was some cool stuff but I, you know i'm I, you know i'm not i'm not super excited about
9: it <laughs> uh, matt what about you before we wrap up what do you think of the show overall
0: yeah i mean i'm with max uh, like we know there are cool things coming down the pipeline for playstation like we know uh from last year's event that final fantasy 16 is heavily tied together with the playstation ecosystem so i'm not worried about about the future but it does seem like there is something strange like you kind of we kind of talked about it Briefly, but like they announced playstation vr2 but as a blog they sort of showed the controller a couple weeks later and then they did the state of play thing and they did a separate forbidden west thing it it feels fractured and it and it's not sort of the trend that we're seeing right like nintendo directs uh and other third-party publishers and xbox are all doing this one big show for their you know next couple of steps but playstation sort of just throwing random bits and bobs across couple months and it doesn't feel great to be honest i don't know if i don't if it's an intentional strategy i don't think it's working out for them to, if i'm going to be honest
9: it's it's definitely a weird cadence cuz i think like had you put this together with the horizon forbidden west mm-hmm. state of play you would have had an hour show that would have been anchored around a really cool thing. And I I think we'd be talking about it in a different way. Um, Especially if it like opened with Deathloop, closed with Horizon, you have this really big sort of moment. It it is a really strange thing. And I I don't know what the cadence is going to be going forward. It's, it's a weird one. I, Mm -hmm. as I said, this covered the next few months, but we didn't see stuff like, Kana bridge of spirits which is you know coming in august and supposed to be really big why wasn't the ghost of tsushima announcement here instead of at mm-hmm. you know right. uh, a random blog post I, I feel like there could have been more to it we ha- we didn't see stuff like little uh little devil inside which was at the showcase last year that a lot of people were hoping would be out by now uh, i think there was a leaked trailer that said july or so that people were looking for that it's been a strange time for playstation we're, de- we're definitely looking at uh, a lot of exciting things ahead but sort of a a very immediate roadmap, not a, a lengthy one. So we'll we'll have to continue following these as they happen. I'm sure we'll have more state of place to come. Uh, Brian, Max, Matt, thank you all so much for joining me for this week's episode. Uh, as always, you can find us you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at JM Dornbush. Brian is at Agent Bizzle. Max is at Max Coville, and Matt is at Law of TD. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Awesome. I haven't had to do it on the show before, so I just wanted Uh, to be sure. It's true, yeah. It's been a while. Uh, But anyway, thank you all so much for joining us. And thank you for everyone out there who watched, who tuned in live, or if you're watching the VOD of this later or listening in audio. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the show as always. Uh, We love doing this, and we love to get together and talk about PlayStation events, no matter the size or scale. Uh, But that's about going to wrap us up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching. And as always, beyond. beyond.
0: Beyond. Beyond.
9: download episodes of previous shows
10: hello everybody and welcome to the gossip stones your bi-weekly podcast for gaming and gossiping i am your host lulu joined by my co-host judy and today is our introductory episode so let's hop right into it um, Judy, how are you doing today?
11: I'm doing pretty good. It's been a great day. I just had my nails done, so I am loving the day.
10: That is awesome. All right, Judy, why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory? How did you really get into gaming?
11: Um, I actually got into gaming when I was around eight years old. I was bought my first ever console it was a nintendo 64 i got it at christmas and in fact when i opened it i just kind of looked at it like confused what is this and why do i have it my mom had to explain what it was and eventually it got set up and my first ever game was super mario 64 which was great but it was whenever i played the legend of zelda ocarina of time that i actually fell in love with gaming And it was that story ever since.
10: Yeah, um, the 64 was a a big part of my childhood. I actually started gaming um, on my grandfather's uh, computer, and I would play games like Putt-Putt and Tarzan and, um, let's see, Freddy Fish. And then he had the 64, and I fell in love with Zelda for Ocarina of Time. And I never actually beat Majora's Mask, but I would have liked to. Um, but then after that, I got quite a few of the Nintendo consoles. I owned a Super Nintendo, an N64, a GameCube, a Game Boy Color, like Game Boy Advance, Wii, Wii U, you know. I And I also have the Switch now. So I've owned quite a few of the consoles.
11: <laughs> yeah, you definitely have. The, the consoles are so great, especially, you know, the ones that Nintendo brought out. I... Same as you, I had the Game Boy Color, the N64, had the Game Boy Advance SP, felt like it was really cool having that, you know, flicking the screen up and everything. Had the DS, 3DS, Wii, Wii U, and of course the Switch. Um, it's actually been a really great family of consoles. It's like, how do you choose which one's best?
10: <laughs> exactly. I mean, and on top of that, like, I I guess you would say I'm definitely a Nintendo gal at this point, because... When it comes to like Microsoft or Sony, I never owned a PlayStation or my sister. She had a PlayStation 2 and I used to play, like, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas on it. And I played a really cool game called Bombastic. And it, like, it was a kind of like a Devil Dice game. Um, and it was full of puzzles. And I also owned a Xbox 360. And I have an Xbox One now. And I also have a new gaming PC. So that's been a lot of fun. But other than those things, I've definitely had more Nintendo consoles. So I think... It's safe to say that I'm definitely a Nintendo fan and I don't know. I I really would like to say that the Wii U is one of the best consoles that Nintendo has put out. And I say that solely because of me being part of like the Zelda community. And, you know, you can get almost all of the Zelda games on the Wii U.
11: Yeah, exactly. And do you know what? People do not appreciate the Wii U for the absolutely fantastic console it is. It gives you access to all of those great titles. And there's kind of an ongoing joke among the Nintendo crowd and the fans in the community that basically write the Wii U off. And it's such a shame. I can tell you, my Wii U is plugged in. It's polished weekly and it is played. People gotta appreciate that thing.
10: Oh yeah, I definitely agree. I actually just got my Wii U last year. I know I am late. <laughs> to late the party, to the
11: party. <laughs>
10: but... <laughs> yeah, well, I um, I got it because I was like, oh, I need to play Twilight Princess HD because I hadn't played the HD version before, and you know, Wind Waker HD's on there. And then I was looking up like the benefits of a Wii U, and I was like. Oh, you can play like your Wii games and it's got the virtual console where you can play almost all of the Zelda games. And so I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. And so we got it and I, we only paid like, I don't know, 120 bucks for it or something like that. And it came with uh, Nintendo land, which <laughs> I love that game. I just want to say, um, I wish I had more people to play it with, but you know, it's fun as a little party game until you get tired of doing all of them.
11: <laughs> yeah, I've never had the pleasure of playing Nintendo Land. I've pretty much been a Zelda guard when it comes to my gaming. When I was younger, I've played different titles. I've, I've played PlayStation games, other Nintendo games. But Zelda's the one that always brings me back. And my my first game, actually, on the Wii U was Twilight Princess HD. So. It's really cool that that was, you know, one of your big things for getting the console was to get your hands on the Twilight Princess HD and sink your teeth into that. It's such a great title!
10: Oh yeah, it definitely is. Um, I've I've actually been playing it a lot lately, and it's 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 a lot different because in the old Twilight Princess there were so many like what are they called? Like the bugs that you have to find for the Tears of Light. There were like, uh, like sixteen or something of them, or I don't know. But they they lessened it in HD, and so now when I'm going through and going to those different places, I always have to remind myself, you know, there's not as many bugs, and so I find myself going to places that there used to be a bug hidden, and they're not there anymore because I'm so used to how the older Zelda Twilight Princess was, and so I like I get all confused, and it takes me a lot longer than it should because I'm remembering all the old locations.
11: Oh, yeah. I, I've i never played the original version, so I've been quite lucky not to get sucked in by that one.
10: One thing that I don't really like about the Wii U is it teases you with those Zelda games that you can't play. And, you know, it's got a couple of those, uh, what is it, Spirit Tracks and uh, Phantom Hourglass and... Um, the Oracle games, and I think that it shows you those games on there, but, you know, it, it kind of teases you because you can't buy it. Yeah. And I think that that's really sad, and so I, oh, and A Link Between Worlds, that's one too, and so I had to, I had to pull out my 3DS so that I could play Oracle of Ages, and it's, it's been really fun, but I've always been worried about my 3ds because i originally put it away because in the past if i like got (laughs) i would rage for games i still do sometimes oh you're (laughs) a
11: rage gamer did you ever break anything
10: no i've never broken anything
11: okay Um, that's good
10: (laughs) but yeah so like I, I used to rage quite a bit. I'm not so much a rager anymore. Maybe, like, on the inside. But <laughs> when I was younger... And the, the funny thing is, is the only thing I played on my 3DS was A Link Between Worlds and Animal Crossing New Leaf. <laughs> and so, like, I don't know what I would get mad at, but I'd get mad at something, probably in Zelda. And um, if I, like, hit a certain part of my 3DS it would turn off (gasps) and it was so frustrating because I would do stuff and it wouldn't save and so I ended up just putting it away and I actually found my Link Between Worlds the other day when I was cleaning out my closet and I was like, huh, I kind of want to play this and I also needed to start practicing Oracle of Ages so I got it out and I kept hoping that it wouldn't turn off and so far it hasn't turned off at all.
11: Oh, thank goodness! I can tell you, I have had a pretty crappy experience with a 3DS. It was actually at the Zelda Dungeon Marathon in 2019, and I was playing Ocarina of Time 3D. It was the final game of the marathon. It was the one I was the most excited for. It's my favorite game in the world, and I had practiced. So, so hard. I had got my personal best time. I was ready to rock. And I was playing the game. I was in the lead. I was actually in the lead, which was an unexpected thing. And the 3DS just turned itself off. Just turned itself off. That was after about a half an hour of playtime. And it was like my devastation. I was like, what happened? And. People were like, did you hit the power button? I did not hit the power button. I <laughs> definitely did not hit the power button. Um, but I sucked it up, I was like, right, I can put it back, I can put it back. And I started to go again. And away I went. I got another 15 minutes after starting from scratch and it knocked off again. And everybody on the commentary was, you know, being really supportive of me and i was trying not to be a spoiled sport even though i was dying on the inside i'm sure you can imagine and yeah yeah it was crazy so i was like right i'll not be a spoiled sport i'll give it another go and this time it didn't even last like five minutes and it knocked me off And there was no way i was pulling it back at all and i actually could feel the tears burning my eyes and i was like i cannot cry in front of everybody um i was getting like emotional rage (laughs) so <laughs> um know. but massey's he's the manager at zelda dungeon for anybody who do, does not know for the marathon um but he came along realized what was going on took that 3ds and quite satisfactorily banged it off the floor and uh then my good friend allison from zelda dungeon she actually gave her game up to me and allowed me to take over, which was so sweet, it really cheered me up and I was so glad that I was able to continue playing. Um, so it worked out alright in the end.
10: Oh, well that was very sweet of Allison. Unfortunately, I didn't get to meet her last year. Last year was actually my first time going to the Zelda Dungeon Marathon and the funny thing about that is I have been watching the marathons since I was in high school. And, you know, this year is the 10th anniversary of the ZD Marathon. So last year I was a new mom, and I was, like, needing stuff to do around the house um, because I only worked on the weekends. And so I saw that Zelda Dungeon needed volunteers, and I was like, okay, cool, I'll just volunteer here. I, I used to be on a website called Gen Game, and so what I did was in my interview or in my application I was like okay yeah so I I used to um write for gen game um you know I've I've been in this scene before you know blah 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 I've made tons of stuff that I've done like uh, making websites and and stuff like that and so then I got the interview and they were just like oh well it, it really caught my eye that you know you said you're in gen game and I was like Oh yeah, it was it was for a short time because I was in high school, but it was super fun and you know, actually when I was part of Gen Game, I knew that there were people from Zelda Dungeon there. <laughs> and So I was like, "Oh, this is so cool." And I was like trying to put in a Zelda article here and there to be like, "Look, I I can I can do Zelda Dungeon stuff." But I I was like a young teenager, you know. So I just kind of um kept going on with my life and I finally got into Zelda Dungeon and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So, um, you know, being part of the social media teams and now also helping out on the social media side of the Champions cast has been an awesome experience for me. And I actually, I used Zelda Dungeon as a, like a, not really a reference per se in my last job that I got hired for, but I kind of used them as an example of stuff that I can do. And they were really impressed with everything that you know, I had talked about, and so that uh, it was kind of funny because one of the bosses was like, "Oh, that's so cool! I I use Zelda Dungeon for you know my guides and everything." And I was like, "Oh, that's really awesome!" And um, so then we actually got to talking about Zelda, and it was it was just super funny. So
11: that's uh, so amazing. Then, that really is. I mean, the fact that you know you manage to bring yourself into the wonderful world of ZD and then you're actually able to, in proper real life situation, you know, with a, with a job, you're actually able to use that and connect with somebody and that's the actual beauty about that. It, it, it's it's a fantastic thing to be able to do, I have to say.
10: It is and it, it really pains me when I meet people that love Zelda and, you know, they're like, What's Zelda Dungeon? And I'm like, oh, well, let me show you the magical world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, like, we'll get into it. And I'll be like, oh, we have all of this. And you can follow us here. And, you know, so that's that's always really fun, too. And, you know, last year, uh, it was kind of random, but I got invited to the marathon like a couple of months before it was going to happen. And because I'm not very far away, so I could easily drive. And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So like, I, I said, yes, I got everything packed up. And um actually had Katie from the marathon. Um, she came down, she was like, an hour out of my way, or I guess I was an hour out of her way, but she came down and picked me up and it's basically a straight shot there, um, from where I am, which is really convenient. And so we went there and it was a lot of fun, you know, like I, I've been watching the marathon for so long that I felt like, you know, I knew a lot of the people and it was, it was familiar to me and it was really easy to kind of get to know Some of the people there, you know, when you're not gaming and you're, you know, hanging out with people and we had a banana bread competition last year (laughs) (laughs) and it was between, uh, Blake and Justine and I, and I can't remember, I think Justine won, uh, which hers was very good. Uh, mine was, it was kind of like a, a low sugar one because I was like on a health thing last year and, um. So I made like, I made it with almond flour and uh, just bananas and like very little sugar, I think, if any. I mean, they were all really good, but Justine definitely had the best one last year.
11: She definitely has some flair. I remember her pancakes, which were really fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's that's so great, and it's it's fab that you've been able to be a part of the Zelda Dungeon Marathon and even so amazing that you're coming back for their 10th anniversary of the event. So jealous that I'm not going. Um, it sucks being all the way across the Atlantic, but hopefully when the world opens up again I'll be able to join you there.
10: I know, that would be awesome. So this year too uh, I'm super excited because, I don't know if you watched last year at all, but I signed up to play Faces of Evil <laughs> <laughs> and i was like you know they were like oh you don't really need uh any you know experience with this game and i was like yeah I've, i don't think i've really even heard of it and so you know we get there and it's time to play and i go up there and it's me and goo and Corey. so like we're sitting there and we're going through it and i'm like oh my gosh and you know it's on the phillips the cdi and we didn't play with the original controller. We played with, like, we played with the other controller that wasn't the original. And so it was, it was a lot of fun, but the jumping in that game is so terrible. And I actually got, like, the one that you can play on the computer, and I want to practice it again, even though it's not really, like, a... A race or anything in the marathons it's just a bit of fun but last year we got so close to finishing it and then we had to end it and we actually went longer for faces to be last year than we had planned to but it was so much fun and i thought it was so funny and then like this year i'm also supposed to do um Twilight Princess which I'm really excited about since that's you know my favorite Zelda game and I'm also doing Oracle of Seasons which I had never played the Oracle games until they needed someone to play like Oracle of Seasons, Oracle of Ages and um, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun because I, I really like it and I got a lot of notes from Mosley and i <laughs> to end up changing some of them to kind of fit what I was doing. I'm still kinda of stuck on it. I've done I've done it twice now. I'm on like my third playthrough and so I think it's still gonna be pretty fresh in my mind when I do play it, but I know that it's gonna be a lot of fun.
11: Totally. And do you know what? Those Oracle games are so underrated. They really deserve a lot more praise than what they get um. so it'll be really great to watch you and see the routes you take in the direction that you decide to go when you're speedrunning. so i'm looking forward to that
10: yeah it'll be it'll be a lot of fun and i know that you know this year we're you know gonna do skyward sword hd so i'm really looking forward to that i i don't know if i'll be playing any part of it, um, but it'll be a lot of fun to watch. I played the original one, but I actually never beat Demise. Like, I got to the very end Battles, um, but I never got past Gearham. I think, and um, then I moved around that time, so I didn't really pull my Wii out very much. And I had my Wii back then, and I I didn't finish it, and I didn't beat Demise. Um, I got to Gearham. But I never beat him, and I don't really know the very ending. I think I've watched, like, a clip here and there during some, like, Zelda theory videos or whatever. But yeah. it'll be really interesting to see how it's changed this year. And um, on top of that, it's, it's kind of disappointing that... You know, that's really the only thing we're getting for Zelda's 35th anniversary this year. Because, you know, at E3, during Nintendo's Direct, you know, he said that he wasn't um, uh, working on anything else at the moment. Um, which, I can understand, like, they're working pretty hard on the second Breath of the Wild. But at the same time, it's like, okay, they're adding some new things, but they also said a lot of it is the same map. So, it's like, I don't know, I feel like... I guess we had the pandemic and everything, and that totally slowed things down. So I totally understand that. But I kind of wish that we had had, like, a little bit more, you know? And then we got the Game & Watch, and it. we already have three of those games on, like, four different systems. Like, give us something more. Uh, port, port some more games to the Switch, whether it's, you know, some N64 games or, you know, GameCube games, Game Boy Advance games. Like... Just port some more to the Switch. I was really hoping to see the like Oracle games go to the Switch because that would be awesome. And I'd really like to hope that one day they'll remake it. But I know that Capcom was kind of in charge of those Oracle games. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're probably not going to get a remake of those. And if we do, it won't be for a long, long time.
11: Yeah, I definitely agree with you that... Zelda Thirty Five was quite blackluster, um, but I think it's Nintendo doing what Nintendo does, and um, they're not making a big deal out of it. And I actually think it's probably because they're gonna have something up their sleeve. We might even find that Holiday Twenty Twenty One is going to be, you know, Zelda Thirty Five at that point, and that's when we're gonna get a bit more excitement for it. To be honest, I was really happy about the game and watch. I got that. Pre-ordered pretty much straight away, and um, I know it's not it's not the original one, you know. There, it's not exactly the same, but I'm loving it. I can't wait to get it. But I do agree. One of the things that I would have really, really loved would have been the Oracle remakes But yeah, I can't see that with Capcom anytime soon, unfortunately. But even if we got a port, that'll be great. Get a port it to Switch. Give us, it, give us it on Switch.
10: Exactly. And it would make it a lot easier for, like, you know, the Marathon and stuff, too, um, if it got ported to Switch, because for people who are playing the Oracle games, if they're not playing, say, you know, Spirit Tracks or Phantom Hourglass, the games that are only available there, if the Oracle games got ported to the Switch and that's all you're playing, you could just bring your Switch, and then you don't have to bring your 3DS with you, and I think it would just be so cool, like, A port really wouldn't be that hard to do, but they also have to get to the point of porting, you know, Game Boy games. And I I just think that they could do it, but at the same time, if they're holding off for a remake, that would make me happy. But again, Capcom's got other things on their mind right now. And they, honestly, the Oracle games are probably the last thing they're thinking of. But it would be really cool to get that third Oracle of game our oh Oracle yes, game, you know. our Oracle <laughs> of
11: Secrets. Yes, I would love that so much. I don't see it happening, but what I think would be pretty cool if Nintendo pulled it, you know, out of their sleeve would be the we've got the Nintendo Switch online. It has the NES and the SNES library on it. It would be really great to get the Game Boy library on it, and maybe that would be, you know, when we'd get the ports of the Oracle games and the like. And, you know, that's maybe why we didn't see it for Zelda 35, even in the form of just a general port. Because they maybe are brewing that up somewhere, we're going to get Game Boy Online instead.
10: I would hope so. And I also kind of hold out for that too. Because it, it would just be kind of silly if they didn't do it. Because it, we've had the the Ness and the SNES online stuff for a while now. And yes, they're constantly adding things, you know, every couple of months. But a lot of it's stuff that... I don't know of, and I'm sure other people are excited for some of them that, you know, pop up, but a lot of them are just titles that I haven't even heard of. And, you know, I've given a lot of them a try, but nothing really beats playing an old Zelda game and giving you, you know, some of that nostalgia. And I love playing A Link to the Past on there, and I just, I want more, and, um, <laughs> Adventure of Link is not something that I'm ready to face yet.
11: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Adventure of Link's not that bad. You just got to persevere. I actually, A Link to the Past, I found, and it's strange, but I actually found it just as unbearable, if you want to put it that way, as Adventure of Link, and if we did get it with an online feature and we got the rewind feature, you know, that's what made Adventure of Link bearable for me, and I'm pretty sure it would make A Link to the Past bearable as well.
10: Yeah, you know, I always forget about that rewind feature. It, I, I've i used it a lot in um, A Link to the Past, and it has been very helpful. But I also forget about it with other games. And sometimes I just forget that you can do it. Like, what if I use the rewind feature in, you know, the old Mario Kart that's on there? Like, <laughs> I can beat everybody, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs>
11: yeah I just I I think they've been so that's been a really fantastic you know feature so if if we were getting that on a Game Boy Online library and we were getting to rewind some of those Zelda games that give us nostalgia but also give us trouble I definitely wouldn't be complaining
10: oh yeah I know I definitely only beat A Link to the Past when I was younger because my grandpa and my sister they would play it with me and so you know they would help me through the hard parts and then I near the very end, I would go in and I would beat Aghanem and Ganon and, you know, then it'd be done. And actually, as an adult with that feature, I haven't beaten it yet because I got, like, sidetracked because around the time that I was um, picking A Link to the Past back up, I started playing Cadence of Hyrule. Oh. And that, that game is just so fantastic. I love it so much. And I haven't beaten it yet either, but I'm right there at the end. I have like one boss that I'm at and I don't remember his name but it's the it's the one that's like jumping around and it turns into six and it's like I don't know it's it's like those statues but it's so fun and I just I keep wanting someone to play it with me to be that second person to help me beat it you know it's so it's I love it that it has that co-op option and I wish more Zelda games had that and so I really like the like Hyrule Warriors games for that too
11: yeah I I haven't actually played Cadence of Hyrule. I really should give it a go. It just I think it's strangely because I love the music in Zelda games. Um, so you'd think that I'd be all over this whole musically rhythm-themed Zelda game. But it just it hasn't appealed to me the way, and I say true Zelda games here with a pinch of salt because I wouldn't take that away from the indie game. It's a, it's a fantastic title that I know there's so many people enjoy. Um, I think I really should probably give it another go. I, pl- I played the demo and it just didn't do it for me. And that was actually the same with Hyrule Warriors as well and i know that you've told me before you love that game um and it just didn't connect with me however hero warriors age of calamity that was a completely different story and i really loved it and it's so strange because they're they're supposed to be kind of the same thing
10: right well it would be worth you know doing cadence again because i haven't even played the dlcs that they announced what was it last year i think for it and i would really like to do that i actually didn't even know about cadence of hyrule until i was like looking through the store like two years ago and i was like oh my gosh what is this and so i saw it and i was like i have to get it and i got it and i loved it because i i just love music in general Um, yeah but with you know Hyrule Warriors I got Definitive Edition and I started playing it and I loved I loved the story and I loved how everything kind of collided and I also love that it took some of my favorite characters and made them playable like Agatha from Twilight Princess I actually got that game literally just so I could play as Agatha (laughs) and funny thing is is she's not even past level two because I have not played her very much I have played Link a lot and I've played Linkle a lot because I love her story in it and then with Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity I played the demo and then my sister got it for me for my birthday and then I played until I got all of the champions and I haven't picked it up since then like it is just not fun to me and I get that it's you know more canon I guess and definitive edition isn't but I could go into, like, a whole other episode talking about why I think that it is part of the timeline. You know, like, I am not a huge timeline person, but there are some aspects of it that I could argue with people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I I just I haven't gotten into Age of Calamity very much, but I would like to, you know, go back and try to play it some more. You know, they've, they've got the new DLCs out, and I think that it'd be worth giving it another shot, but... As of right now, I'm just kind of focusing on stuff for the marathon, you know?
11: Yeah, I would totally recommend that you go back to it after the marathon. Give it a go. Um, even if you want to play co-op on it, you know, with somebody. It's such a great game. It really is. And I've never been into that style of game at all. Like, I'm very much... I want to be left to play at my own pace, I want to have an adventure game. I don't really want a game where I'm having to constantly fight. I want to look around, I want to explore, I want to see the detail. But Age of Calamity just really captured me in such an unexpected way, and I would absolutely love if somehow we managed to turn your opinion around and suddenly you could fall in love with it as well. And then, who knows, we could maybe treat our lovely listeners to an Age of Calamity episode.
10: It would definitely take some coaxing, but I think I, think I could probably try that after the marathon.
11: Okay. Um... I'll do the coaxing, speaking... don't worry. <laughs> <laughs>
10: speaking of um the like Age of Calamity and the DLCs and everything, what else would you have liked to have seen from E3? Like whether it be from Nintendo or, you know, I don't know if you watched any of the other like quote unquote directs like from Xbox or, you know, um
11: Yeah, I only really checked out um The Nintendo Directs, because I'm a writer for Zelda Dungeon, that was, you know, really important to me personally for my own interests and really important for the site as well. So I was all over that. Like everybody is probably going to agree, we did not get enough from the Breath of the Wild 2 trailer. I'm not even going to go into too much detail on that because I could go on forever. On a separate note, I really, really wanted to see something from... Animal Crossing New Horizons. I have really, really enjoyed that game and I just thought they could give us so much more. I know that that game has so much more to give and they just didn't do anything and it was such a letdown that we didn't see anything from it.
10: Right. Yeah, I was hoping for, you know, at least some sort of update during that Direct. I I don't even know. I've been trying to keep up on any updates and any announcements over the past couple of weeks from Nintendo about Animal Crossing. I haven't seen anything, but I know that someone that I watch on YouTube made a video the other day, so... I don't know if maybe I missed something or maybe they're just speculating some more, but I would have definitely liked to see more for ACNH, um, especially because, like, there's, there's so many things that they could do. Like, they could add Brewster and they could, you know, add more uh, quality of life things, you know, like buying in bulk, and I see sometimes why they don't do that because, It is supposed to be a more slow, relaxed game. But if you are a hardcore Animal Crossing fan, especially if you've played some of the older games and now you're at New Horizons where you can, you know, basically do whatever you want. Like there are some people that have done such creative things. Like they've made like the Moon Palace from Sailor Moon. Um, I even made a whole island that was like a, a fairy core type theme. I have a tavern on it and, you know, all this. All this fun stuff that you can do. And I haven't played it in a little while. Maybe to get on and do an event here and there. But I just have really lost touch with New Horizons. And it's kind of sad. And back to the um, Zelda thing with the Nintendo Direct. I think that it was really kind of funny and trolly of Nintendo. Because at the very beginning of the Direct, we saw Ganondorf being carried And all you could see was Ganondorf, and then he gets thrown over the edge. And of course, you know, that's not the Ganondorf from Breath of the Wild, but it is Ganondorf. It's a Zelda character. And so I know that I, and probably a bunch of other Zelda fans, were sitting here freaking out. Like, is this a new game? Like, is this a new part of the timeline? Like, what is this? And then you see... Uh, who is it, Kazuya, Uh, and he, like, throws him off into the volcano, and it's, it's just a, a Smash Bros thing, and, like, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that that excited a lot of people, but for me, I was more disappointed, because I was like, oh my god, this isn't Zelda, this is Super Smash Bros, and it's, it's just a tease, like, Nintendo knows what they did, they know what they did there, because they didn't show anything but Ganondorf, and then, you know, for me, watching that I'm like that's got to be some sort of foreshadowing they've got to be doing you know some sort of Zelda news at the end please let it be something awesome and again it was awesome to finally get something of Breath of the Wild too because I wasn't even expecting a full trailer I was expecting maybe three seconds of something and hoping for more Um, but what we got it it was okay it wasn't the best thing, but it also wasn't the worst thing. Like, Nintendo definitely stole the show of all of E3. Um, I, I saw a couple games during, you know, um, like the Microsoft, uh, event and everything, where they talked to Elder Scrolls 6, and, uh, they said that they were still working on it. Actually, maybe they didn't even say that. I think what they said was they were still working on games that we were hoping for or something along those lines but they didn't have any information on that so they like didn't show anything and it's really disappointing because I think I read somewhere that they are still in the design phase of Elder Scrolls 6 so it's going to be a while before that comes out and to be honest it's probably not going to come out for anything less than the Xbox Series X yeah and that's it's really disappointing because I still have, like, a normal Xbox One, and there's no way I have the money for a Series X right now. And it's, granted, it's still going to be a while, but it's kind of sad. Like, yeah. I, I want to play Elder Scrolls 6 I've been really into it. I've played Oblivion a million times. I've just started Morrowind, actually. I've played Skyrim a million times. Like, I have Skyrim on two consoles, and... Actually, we have it on the PC too, so we just have all sorts of Bethesda things, and I also was kind of hoping for more Fallout news, and we got some Fallout 76 DLCs coming up that are super exciting, but I'm not a big 76 fan, so that was just a little bit disappointing for me personally. I would have liked to have seen a new Fallout being worked on, but that's that's okay.
11: Yeah, totally. I mean, I get where you're coming from, especially with the Elder Scrolls 6, I mean we know the amount of detail that is available in that series, that franchise, it's absolutely amazing. E- even Skyrim, we know that that's such an old game and look at the detail that was in that. So it's like we're dying to see what they've got in store for us and the fact that they're still at design phase, you know, you, you want to hurry them up but it's like you know what they're going to give you is going to be so excellent. and. You know, I think that's actually something that Nintendo could borrow from how those designers and the developers actually do things. Because if I had Breath of the Wild 2 and I had that level of detail that goes into the very houses and structures and buildings within the world where we can lift plates, we can, you know, we can take items to sell and, you know, A much more realistic way than what we're being offered at the minute i mean for me skyrim meets breath of the wild would be unbelievably fantastic you're talking i think we know zelda has a massive fan base it could probably amalgamate the two fan bases if we were getting that level of detail with the absolute level of fantasy that zelda provides on its own basis if that makes sense you know i know i know that the likes of skyrim and all has its own fantasy but there's something magical in what the zelda series does and if it could just meet the level of detail that the likes of skyrim and the other scrolls games offer that would just be fantastic i'd love it
10: right and uh, there's a running joke in my house um that we call skyrim breath of the wild too <laughs> and that's because on the Switch version, you can use your Zelda amiibos and you can get like the Master Sword and you can get the Hylian Shield and you can also get um, the Champion's Tunic. And it takes a couple of tries, but we have like all of the Zelda amiibos um, except for like the newer ones, like the obviously the uh, Zelda with her. Loftwing. There we go. Yeah. Um, we don't have, like, the super newer ones, but we have all of the other ones, and it's just amiibo cards. But, you know, we we made our characters to look as close to Link as possible, and then mine was supposed to be, like, a Linkle-type character. But it's really hard to do that because in Skyrim, the customization is... I mean, there's a lot, but it's not as customizable as in Oblivion. And yeah. that really irks me, but you know, we, we did our best to make it look like, you know, Link and Linkle, and then when we got in there, we, as soon as we could, we started scanning our Amiibos, and so now we play with our Master Sword and our Champion's Tunic, and we just kind of had a, a running joke about it being Breath of the Wild too. and it makes me want to, like, maybe stream that one day, and, you know... Be like, oh, I'm playing Breath of the Wild 2, early access, and it's got great graphics. <laughs>
11: <so>. <laughs> I love that idea actually. That's fantastic. Um, I've played <laughs> it on Switch. I haven't got the amiibo or the Amiibo cards, so I haven't been able to experience the Breath of the Wild 2 set that you've managed to pull off. But yeah, it, it looks fantastic. I've seen it, I've seen it done before, I remember. Um, whenever the direct, I think it was a direct at the time, had shown that these things were going to be available, and I remember thinking, that looks unreal. And I really should have done something about it so that I could play it.
10: <laughs> yeah, it is um definitely the only reason that I own Skyrim on the Switch, because like I said before, I own it on two other systems. And so I, and that's the thing too, is that they have it on all of these systems, and I can't can't imagine how much money they have made on Skyrim alone. It is around a decade old and it is, it's, it's just wild to me, you know, like. Yeah. They have made so much money with different people trying to just get it on everything they have because, I mean, the Switch is handy because you can take that with you and play it and you don't have to be at the computer or the TV screen and you can just take it on your Switch and play it handheld, like. It's genius, you know?
11: Totally. And, like, Skyrim has that replayability, so being able to grab your Switch and just go play it whenever you're ready to play it, it's a no-brainer. They've done the right thing. Oh, definitely.
10: hmm Well, I think that's about all the time we have uh, for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening today. We will be back next time with... Maybe some more things that we expect from Breath of the Wild too. And if you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow The Gossip Stones. And you can also follow me. I am Lulu Sugaboo or Judy. She is a Hylian princess. And you can also find us on Spreaker or, you know, hopefully soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Because we're going to get that out there for you. So again, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time.